Two people there who played instruments before, and two people who haven't, and uh, it's very impressive. And one person who hasn't sung before, it's really good. Michael was the only person who actually knew how to play his instrument before. Like, Allison did not know how to play uh, drums. Mark had to learn how to play guitar, so I had to learn how to play bass. It's pretty cool that we were all able to pull it together in two weeks, especially Allison. Drums is a hard one to learn. It was amazing to come up here and to walk into the rehearsal space and all, all of us just being like, okay, let's start with this. And me just being like, oh wait, that's me. I have to count us in. We are Jack the Bomb! One, two, three, four! Michael's almost too good. He's so good that I think he has almost has to dumb it down or he makes Mark look pretty. Yeah, Mark is sort of learning from scratch. I'm on the verge of a nervous breakdown and a heart attack. As of two months ago, I never touched a guitar or sang a song before in my life, let alone sang in front of anybody. And today, I have to play a song in front of people, in front of one of the greatest rock producers of all time. I'm very scared. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Webber. <laughs> all right, welcome to Movie Night Extravaganza, the live Friday Twitch edition. Um, I think we're also, I also put it on YouTube, so, you know, we're streaming on YouTube as well, but we're really plugging that Twitch right now. All right, I'm here, as always, with J. Andrew versus the world. That was, that, that's a solid one. Ah, yes. <laughs> All right. I mean, I always felt personally attacked by this movie, so. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you are, you are attacked by this movie. You're our, <laughs> you're our, you're our Michael Sarah for the, <laughs> for the show. Um. All right, Kona Neutron of Protonic Reversal and, of course, the front man of Kona Neutron and the Secret Friends. How's it going today? Fantastic. L looking forward to this. This is, a, this is a movie I like quite a bit, and uh, I, think it's, uh, I think it's going well so far. We'll see. <laughs> it's been three minutes. Oh, no. uh, all right, and, of course, Chris Murphy of Sloan, various other bands, including uh, Tons, uh, the, the Trans-Canadian Highwaymen, and, of course... The um, music performance supervisor. I'm, is it was it was your official title music performance supervisor, which is what I got on IMDb, or was it music director? Um, um, in the end, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I I don't know what it was in the end, but I know that for a while before the movie came out, I was being described as the music director. Uh, actually, what I was, I was hired, so I play music and I can play drums. I could play a little bit of everything, and uh, so I had to coach. Uh, 
Allison Pill how to play drums and tell, teach Mark Weber how to play guitar and these things. I'd try to make the actors who didn't play look believable. But, but for a while, I was uh, people were calling me the musical director, so I was getting a lot of calls from people coming out of the woodwork trying to get their music in the, in the movie, <laughs> thinking that I was somehow the music supervisor. And of course, you know, can I get my, you know, great, Chris, haven't seen you in a long time. You know, can, can I get my band in the, and I was like, can I get my band in the movie? I want to get my, how do I get my, my music in this movie? Well, you, I mean, you got, you know, they went with the shirt, right? I noticed that. Um, there I, I is the, a yeah. very faint uh, Sloan shirt. Yes. Uh, worn by uh, Johnny Simmons, uh, young Neil. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so, um, should I contextualize myself? How I, why, what I'm doing here? Um, yes, sure, definitely. <laughs> so I never I play, do. Yeah. I so I play in a group Sloan. I played in a band Sloan for like 30 years, and I had a friend named Christine Biller. I met her. She lived in um, in New Jersey. Uh, uh, in um, yeah, New Jersey, in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Anyway, she worked at Creation Records in England for a while, and she was friends with uh, with Edgar Wright. And so when he was over here, kind of scouting locations. He met with me and basically asked me, does it bother you when you see movies where the musicians are clearly faking it? And I said that it did drive me crazy. And he said, OK, great. That's what I need. I need you to. I don't want this movie to be like that. So you need to help me fix that. And of course, I was like, well, have you already cast this movie? Of course, he had already cast a, a, a host of people who didn't know how to play. So it was he was uh, in for some trouble. Anyway, so I was very honored to do it. You know, I got paid uh, well to do it, though I was paid uh, just a set amount as opposed to by the hour. So as these 12 hour days, you know, rolled on and I, they didn't really need me. It was a little I was, I was the only one who was like, can we get out of here? And everybody else was like, this is awesome. You know, I'm getting paid by the hour. But uh, anyway, it, this is 2009, I think. And it was uh, super fun. And uh, one of the, you know, most fun experiences of my life. And I do have a bunch of stories I can share. I don't know how I should roll them out, but uh, if you ever, if you reach some kind of impasse, you can cut to me and I'll, I'll throw another random story out there. All right. Well, I think it's amazing. Um, you taught drums to her because like drums are harder to pick up than bass and guitar. I feel at, at least as far as if you don't have a background in it. Right. So I don't know if anybody, are you, is anybody going to set up the movie or like say something more generally about the movie or like who's in charge? I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm in charge. I'm, okay. I'm in charge here. I'm running. I'm the captain of the ship. Um, <laughs> okay. Although I don't know. Andy tried to take over the other day and told us that he's the captain now. And I don't, I don't, you know, I didn't really buy it. So I cut his, I cut his camera off at that point, but, um, nice. Right. Uh, <laughs> boss. Don't take no. So, uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I think, um, you know, most people that have, uh, that probably watched the show have seen it because I feel like when it, I feel like it's not necessarily the most like mainstream movie that obviously came out in the moment, but like has definitely got a huge cult following. Um, kind of the term that, that gets thrown around with it, I guess, is instant cult following, which is kind of a weird term because I feel like that kind of happens organically. And when like a studio is pushing a movie, it's kind of harder for like a, a cult, cult following to develop. But I guess cult following is the right term. Um, you know, I remember seeing it when it first came out. And like really, really liking it, and I'm feeling like I've never seen anything that really like tries to copy like the the comic style. Really, I mean, I guess Sin City tried to do it. Uh, Incredible Hulk, uh, the the one with uh, Ang Lee did, kinda. Yeah, but like, but, but, I, yeah. No, yeah, just go on. No, so maybe, maybe the that, only like, thing good about that film, by the way. Go ahead. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but it managed to do it in like an incredibly stylized way because it's a comedy and it's not, you know, trying to trying to do like a um any kind of story, like, you know, straightforwardly. Like, I mean, obviously, like the Marvel movies now are the most watched. Um, well, now every every fucking, you know, every, like every other movie that comes out is a Marvel movie, I feel like. But, you know, that kind of like, you know, we're going to try to tell the story, make it more realistic um, in some ways, like, you know, throw in some jokes sometimes, but the jokes aren't really the point. In this movie, the jokes are very much the point. And that's kind of what I think I appreciated about it the most. Yeah. So uh, Edgar Wright had already was already a beloved cult director, had done Shaun of the Dead, had done Hot Fuzz, had done that TV show called Spaced. So he had a built in audience of nerds. And then he also with this movie again, by the way, I don't I'm not an expert at all. I was there for a lot of it you know, hanging around, but like I don't have any insight. So, you, you know, feel free to cut me off anytime. But uh, he also he was trying to like I was involved in the musical aspect of it, but it was also a martial arts movie and a video game movie. It really combined a whole it was like this Venn diagram of nerdiness. So it was like indie rock and, uh, you know, uh, manga and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, Brian Lee O'Malley's comic and uh, and martial arts movies and uh, video games like it re really was made for comic-con and and uh you know it was it's even though i think it was a, it was a financial it was a flop i think it was 120 million dollar budget i think and it and i don't know how much money, i don't know anything about uh trades or anything but i don't think it made big money but it was i think it'll live forever because it was handled with a lot of care by edgar who is uh who i think is undeniably one of the great directors yeah, he definitely, he definitely is, especially as far as um like comedy, comedy is concerned. I remember I was taking um, I mean I, I took like film classes in college, and I remember one of the big like one of the big videos that they showed was um somebody made a video called like how to how to how to do visual comedy, and it was just a breakdown of like all of the ways that um you know Edgar Wright's movies are like cut like the 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 fast cuts and like the ways that it jumps from place to place, the way they do it for comedic effect, the pacing, like all of that is kind of um thrown together into this very specific style that like does this kind of comedic editing better than I think anybody. Um, and he keeps the same team with him. I've, I've, I've noticed doing research for this, like the same team of, of, you know, audio people and visual people and everything else. Like he's worked with the same team, like through a lot of his career. And, and, and some of the things that I observed, um, you know, when they would do a scene that was going into a dream sequence where Scott pilgrim walks into a room to go to the bathroom and then he goes back out and then he's in some sort of dreamscape or he's in a locker he's in a high school or something but that was all practical effects where he went in through a door and then there was about 50 people that quickly changed the hallway into like a school like it wasn't i oh, think wow. you i think you could have easily done it with green screen but he he was really into he always basically does it the hard way meaning the best way and uh i think people rely on him to he always delivers that way you know he always takes the the difficult way out yeah um so here's a here's a clip of him talking um so i guess they re-released uh scott pilgrim last year because it was the 10-year anniversary so they brought it back to theaters and so he did like a pretty impressive press run on all these different podcasts where they had him um like talking about the process of making it and so it made you know doing research for this episode easy but also um also a, a long process because then i got like you know sucked into watching a whole bunch of his interviews that he did last year but this is uh this is this is the practical effects part of it that he was talking about a video game i wanted this thing where then whenever there was a connection 
like a fist hitting like a target that there would be or a foot hitting something that there would be like a flash like you get in a video game so you obviously you can add that on later digitally but it looks a lot better if there's some kind of like light source going off on the set we ended up having these kind of like light bulbs everywhere that would be set off in a particular order so it'd be like you were going bang 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 it'd be like one two three four sometimes i'd give the uh the trigger for the light bulbs to like um, Brad or like um, Peng Zhang, his other kind of fight coordinator. And sometimes I would do it and I'd have my own little button and I'd stand by the monitor going click, 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 trying to do it in time with the hits. Um, it's funny, but it was something like, it's, it's a really great effect that obviously all of those light bulbs are taken out, but you can kind of see like the, the hits every time. And Michael Sarah said that his main memory of the shoot is that he said, like two weeks after we wrapped, he said, I still could just hear clicking <laughs> the flashing of light bulbs. He said his main memory of the shoot was like, psh, 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 psh. and he just would hear that in his sleep. So at the end, at the end of the um, movie, when Gideon gets, you know, exploded into coins, we stood on top of that pyramid and we literally threw like thousands of like dollars worth of Toonies, Canadian currency, down the pyramid. There was one thing I really remember about that as well, was there was one day, Michael Sarah was incredibly safety conscious, very, very safety conscious, as you should be if you're doing fight scenes, but like maybe above and beyond. And if he was doing like a scene with the, with the kind of sword that you see behind me, he would have like a short version of the sword and he would be swishing around like with the short version. And then for the effects pass, we would get a stunt double, so bringing the long version and be squishing that around. So Michael's doing this take where he's fighting the henchman in the club. And Michael, who's very conscientious, is saying like, am I, I'm not too close, everybody okay? And they're like, yeah, you can't, you can't hurt us. He goes off to get a coffee. We do the take with the long sword. And then in the first take, bam, one of the summon gets hit in the teeth with the long sword and it knocks his teeth out. <laughs> and the teeth are on the floor, but also on the floor are thousands of coins. So one of my most surreal memories of the shoot is like myself and the entire stunt team looking on this nightclub floor for like two front teeth in the middle of a bunch of coins. And the stuntman, and also stuntman's wear these sometimes he's like a badger on it. He's standing there like, like this with a blood coming out. And he's like, and Michael Sarah, I remember Michael Sarah comes back with his coffee and sees the whole crew like looking around and sees like the stuntman with blood pouring out of his like, mouth. And he goes, How's it going, guys? <laughs> and uh, the stuntman was fine. He got his teeth fixed and stuff. We found the teeth. Dang. That is, wow. That's a lot. That is, and if I remember correctly, it was uh, Jackie Chan's stunt team that was working on uh, <clears throat> uh, the stunts and the fight coordination. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, um, yeah, they hired members of uh, Jackie Chan's uh, fight team. Yeah. And and they were training, so I guess they were training both um both like Chris Evans and you know like like um and like Michael Sarah and like like all of the actors at the same time um like in the mornings, which has to have been like I, I had a clip that I was gonna play later, but I don't think I will. But it's it's a really quick quick thing of um Edgar Wright talking about how funny it was to watch like the entire cast of the movie because they they spanned so many different kinds of uh, actors and actresses like all training at the same time for those fight scenes. 
That's wild. And then you know, think about the fact that, uh, again, not to put too fine a point on it, uh, if you're not a musician and you're cast playing a musician too, I mean, that's, well, first of all, cast a musician. But if you don't, if you don't cast a musician, like it's a lot to like, it's, you know, it, it's a different set of skills than people think it is. People think it's like the, the, the fun part, the jumping around looking cool. Right. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. I can speak to that. I can't speak to the martial arts so much, but I can like, I have, uh, can I just tell some random stories in a row speaking about yeah. teaching? Yeah, definitely. People? Okay. So I was, I, I, had appreciate teach, it. I had to teach some of these people to We're play. We're dying here. No. <laughs> I had to you know, cue up another video in case I, I blow it here. Um, so I had to teach these musicians to play. Michael Sarah, sadly, was so good that uh, you know he didn't need my didn't need my help. Even though you know I got to hang with him a bit, he's basically as cool as you hope that he is. Drives himself to and fro, no entourage. Like he's just like the coolest, nicest, funniest if, guy. If he wasn't if he wasn't famous though, he does look like the guy that would realize he has to teach himself uh, how to play guitar. Like you know, just so that he could like have a thing to to bring up in, in conversation in case it starts to go south. I think. I mean, I think he makes recordings. Like I don't. I don't know if he has released records, but I think he plays music and like is is pretty good. Like he was talented. He could play. Like he was playing the whole time. He. I think he played that Ramona song live and stuff. Maybe he didn't sing. I don't know. But uh, okay. So first of all, I don't mean to make this whole thing all about me, but I am kind of uniquely positioned. It's almost as if this whole movie were made just for me. And I have a little thesis about it that I'm going to bore you guys with. So, Bring it on. Okay. Let's go, Murphy. Let's go. Okay. So Brian Lee O'Malley uh, made the comics and he, um, he lived in Halifax for a while where my, where I grew up and where my band Sloan started. And he would have known about Sloan. He was infatuated with a, a group called Plum Tree. And Plumtree had a song called Scott Pilgrim, which is actually, it was some kind of thing where they, they there's an actual guy named Scott Ingram, who's a guy who lives in Toronto now, who I think they, it was some kind of joke amongst them where they misheard his name or something. So that's, so Plumtree wrote the song. Brian Leo Malley loved them and kind of indie rock and, and he liked Sloan. I don't know if we were his favorites, but. For example, there's also, a, there's also a plum tree shirt. I think um, I don't remember. Yeah, he's that. got he's got a he's got a plum tree shirt on uh, when they do their battle of the bands thing, but uh, but plum tree like those girls went to the you know they went to the church I grew up in like I knew those girls as little kids like I I was the same grade as their older sister but their band plum tree was the two younger sisters, and they record I recorded demos of them at my parents' house in the nineties. And weirdly, Edgar's Edgar's student movie, I forget what it was called, had a woman in it named Amy Bowles. And she moved to Canada and she was in a band called Pony to Look. And my wife, Rebecca Mendoza, was in a band with her. So I'm, I have that connection, too. My wife was in a band with this woman that was in Edgar's student film. And um, and so and Scott Pilgrim, if you think about it, it's, it's about this indie rock guy who plays bass he doesn't play the 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 Brandon Routh character uh, from uh, Clash of Demon Head. He plays a Fender Mustang competition style, which is the bass that I play. And you could see in that in that rehearsal video that they showed earlier, my bass was there. That's not the bass that's in the movie, but they couldn't use my bass because they needed to have three identical basses because they were blowing them up and they had to have them in different scenes. But uh, and uh, 
And as a side note, as a, as a name drop, I did date uh, Leslie Feist, who became really famous. So I have an Envy Adams character in my life. Uh, so you, <laughs> that's, so that's if, right. If, if I were really trying to make it a, put me in a position where he made it about me, I think that's a bit much. But but anyway, uh, so uh, Listen, if you have a theory, you got to stretch it as far as it will go. If you it, it all, it, to me, connected. to me, it all lay to me. I, I you know I think I could make this case, uh, and uh, and it's, I think I'm nearing the end of of the similarities. But uh, uh, oh, and I also sorry, Jason Schwartzman. Uh, is a I knew him. I met him uh, as a teenager. Um, so his sister, uh, not not his sister, but his cousin, I guess, is Sophia Coppola, and he's yeah. a Coppola. His mother is Talia Shire, who is Francis Ford's sister. And she was in Rocky, and she was in Godfather. But um, Sophia was in business with a woman whose boyfriend was Brian Reitzel, who was in the band Red Cross. And so Sloan played, my band Sloan played with Red Cross in 97. And when we played in LA, Jason came and he was a teenager and his band was called Phantom Planet and they were signed to Geffen. And so I would have been 29 or something and he was 17. So I was giving him a hard time that he was, I was like, what do you mean you're on Geffen? You're 17 years old. Like we, we had been on Geffen and we're no longer on Geffen. So I was kind of giving him a hard time and, and essentially wrestling him like he was a little kid and giving him noogies and stuff and literally rolling on the floor. That might be why he never grew another inch. <laughs> so then, but then cut to, so that, to me, he was just like this little kid. And then two years later, I'm in a movie theater in Washington, D.C., just on tour, and I'm watching Rushmore. And I'm about halfway through it. And I was like, that's that fucking kid. That's the kid. <laughs> and then I realized that that he was who he was. Then cut to later in 99, we play shows with Phantom, Phantom Planet. Sloan does. Anyway, so Jason Schwartzman has always been very supportive of Sloan. You can look it up online. Uh, so it's just another reason. And uh, sorry, another play, another part of the theory that Scott Pilgrim was about the whole thing was about me. Anyway, that's kind of the end of my theory. Uh, what do you What do you think about? There's something so distinctly, I think, Canadian about using Jason Schwartzman as as like the villain, because his like his villainy is is that passive aggressive, like super passive aggressive, super yeah. condescending. And just specifically in this movie, like I I remember I remember just something subconsciously about when uh when he does this when he's like on the limo and he like he's like I'm sorry or whatever it goes like that and then. He goes back into the limo. I was like, I fucking hate this guy. Like, <laughs> but there's something I feel like so distinctly Katie that because the whole movie is obviously through uh Scott Pilgrim's eyes, and yes. he had this obsession throughout the movie with like you know, Envy Adams. He's like, he used to be so nice, he thinks of himself as a nice guy. I mean, he isn't, you know what I mean? Like, he's a piece of shit, kind of like in some ways, like the character. I mean, but yes. but like, but he thinks of himself as, as really nice, and then you know, I think uh, Jason Swartzman's um character in the movie like kind of has this uh like the like the Gideon character kind of has this um intense like passive aggressive like condescending niceness that kind of overpowers all of uh all of Scott Pilgrim's like you know um like kind of failure to, to find success failure and everything else he seems to be way better at, at that specifically than than Scott Pilgrim is so it's funny that through his eyes that's the villain that's is, the villain of is, the story is your theory that his villainy is a Canadian villainy or it's American compared to Scott's Canadianness? I mean I guess both it's kind of a it just feels very I feel like it feels very distinctly Canadian uh at least I mean I, I mean I'm not you know I'm I'm I've been in America like my whole life like I'm not 
but it, it feels like so maybe I'm stereotyping here. Yeah. But it, no, I've read Alpha Flight, which makes me an expert on these things. And <laughs> first Alpha Flight reference of the show. Well done. Yes, total. <laughs> but um, you get you guys are all American, are you not? Yeah. Correct. And by American, I mean from the United States. I don't actually use the word American. I'm just using it because you just use it. Because yes. politically, it's not America as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, the, the, by the way, the whole world thinks that you guys are smarmy assholes like the Gideon character. It's not Canadian at all. It's very American. But anyway, uh, I, I'm kind of I mean, joking. I think, I think, joking I think there's, you know, the, the part that I'm uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of comparing is through through Scott Pilgrim's eyes. There's this, he is he is smarmy, but that's not the part I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on. It's this like condescending, like, cultivation of of people using niceness as a manipulation which is also yeah. a midwestern thing in america too i mean you know what i mean like, yeah i was gonna say like there's people midwest, around here in wisconsin yeah, midwest nice is called like um <laughs> yeah. but there's like this there's this very like there's this very distinctly because if you're thinking about the movie as going on in scott pilgrim's head which is really what it is right like he's you're looking through his eyes at how he perceives everything going on and the ways that he's kind of culturally uh connecting to the world around him there's this like this this character through his eyes is like as as much as Michael Sarah is kind of this guy that thinks of himself as a nice guy, but is really kind of a um like like a like a you know just a real piece of shit kind of for the way he treats people around him, very selfish, very self involved. You are um, opening my eyes to the fact that that's another way that that I am like Scott Pilgrim. I I think that I'm so nice, but I'm probably just like a, a giant <laughs> asshole. <laughs> you don't get invited back to Protonic Reversal if you're a giant asshole a second time. Well, don't you? <laughs> Uh, but you do get invited back to movie night extravaganza. Yeah, movie night extravaganza. <laughs> ah, yeah, please. <laughs> I'm on like every episode, and I, I'm a complete asshole. <laughs> okay, are you cutting to a video, or do you want another story from me? No, go ahead. Um, I mean, I have other videos, but you know, the stories I think are better than the videos are. All right. So Edgar does not know how to play music and doesn't understand when when music is not being played properly. So I would do these rehearsals with them. Edgar would video them. And, you know, he would say, this is great. I love it. And his assistant took me aside. He's like, Edgar was having a moment. He's so happy. And I was like, I was feeling pretty good about myself, even though I was like, I, just, I don't know how good this looks really. But everybody was saying it was so good. So I was feeling confident. And then I got to meet Nigel Godrich, who is this heavyweight producer. I don't know if I need to contextualize who that is. Did Radiohead Records work with yeah, Paul obscure band called Radiohead, maybe you've heard of them? Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> so he's he was more the musical supervisor and and uh, put the got the you know, Beck did the music for Sex Bob and Broken Social Scene, did for Crash and the Boys, and Metric did for uh, whatever they're called, Clash of Demon Head. And uh and Nigel himself did the score. Anyway, so I went to, you know, and Edgar was like, uh, Nigel wants to meet you. So I was kind of excited, I guess, you know, I don't, whatever. I went to meet him and he's like, yeah, I saw the, uh, saw the videos of the rehearsals. And I was like, oh yeah, what'd you think? And he's like, it looks fucking terrible. And I was like, oh geez. And uh, I was like, well, where was I at? You know, uh, these guys can't play. You know, I got a, I have a, there's a bass player in Crash and the Boys he doesn't have any lines and he can't play bass. Like, what's he doing here? Like, who hired? Like, he's the he's the bass player in a, with a non-speaking part and he doesn't play bass. Like, how much that, time? Of course, am I, that man grew up to be Sid Vicious. And how much? Yeah, <laughs> how much? How much time am I supposed to play? How much time am I supposed to spend on this guy? Like, I that guy's the main guy in the main band who who's never t picked up a guitar. I need to spend time on him. And of course, I didn't want to get anybody fired, but I think I got that kid fired. I feel bad about it. But uh, 
So and uh, and the other the other fight they were that Nigel was having was I think I think the whoever made the movie Universal or whatever had had a deal with Gibson or somebody had a deal with Gibson where they were like everybody was just using all these like, like brand new Gibson instruments and Nigel was like this looks so stupid these are like indie rock kids with brand new yeah. Gibson guitars like that's ridiculous and I had an old most rate guitar and they're like what about that and he was like what about a guitar like that why can't they have guitars like this and so. And so I, I again through nine, I basically got Nigel on the case to, so not whatever. I, I, the props people hated me because like then they had to get all these. They had to, I think they still were Gibson guitars, at least some of them. But they had to distress them all down and all that kind of stuff to, to make to make them look old. But uh, so anyway, I was embarrassed that uh, that the that that uh, Nigel was saying how bad the band was. The, the first scene that we had to shoot, if you can remember the opening, uh, they're playing in their little practice space. And there's a thing where they're, the uh, young Neil and Knives Chow are sitting on the couch and the couch kind of pulls back and it becomes like this, uh, you know, dreamlike sequence. But but there are no cutaways. So like it's all one shot. And so Mark Weber, who was kind of the weakest link uh, musically, you know, he, did, he we weren't going to be able to cut away from him. So I was losing my mind but uh, but there are so many practical effects and and in some cases you know martial arts and explosions going on so like you know that we would do a take the band's playing mark weber's like fucking up everywhere and then you know cut and then it, edgar turns to me is like how was it and i was like uh you know you know I, the, the real answer being if he did it 50 more times he might get he might do one better like there's so much going on i had to say it was great so I was basically lying to him all the time and feeling that I wasn't doing my job. But luckily, I was I was talking to the editor who who was a musical person who said, I'm going to be able to fix this. I'm going to be able to cut away when this guy is fucking up everywhere. I wouldn't I would say that uh, Mark Weber was not determined to be as good as he could be. Alison Pill uh, had to play all the drums and she was very determined. She practiced all the time and she had a very a little hard a little, a little editor, a little editor, uh, uh, I guess tip if someone if an editor is like oh don't worry we can we can we can fix this they're probably also lying to you <laughs> right well i think i think in i saw their head, in their head because I, I mean that's what i do for like you know so i don't know i feel like i feel like i'm always like oh don't worry i, I could fix this i could fix this in my head i'm like how the fuck am i gonna fix this i was <laughs> I, I was i was worried but i feel like for the most part like there are some times when i can see that you know he's he's backwards to what he's supposed to be doing you know he couldn't like mark weber couldn't learn any chord shapes like he could i couldn't say e a g so i ended up having to teach him bar chords and then i put then i taped numbers to the top of all of his neck and I then I would have to call out, I'd be like one, ten, eight, five, and then he would he uh, he would I would call like I would be a bar ahead of him all the time, ten, and then he'd go to the ten, and then to the five, and then so, you know, it was basically like I he was like a had to deal with like a trained monkey, but he like he had a hard job, like he had to play guitar, you know, it's like Sean Penn playing in whatever that Django Reinhardt movie or whatever, it's like. You know, it's hard to it's hard to, you know, I've been playing my whole life. Uh, you know, it, you got to, you know, all you have to do, do you guys all play music? All I, you have I, to do, all I, you have I to do to, to empathize is, is pretend that you had to play the whole thing left handed. It's like, oh, God, like, yeah, it, exactly. it, 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 to remember what it's like to not be able to play or draw with your non-dominant hand if you're a visual artist. 
Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can, <laughs> I can, I mean, I can also think about like somebody editing or something and having to teach somebody to like, you know, look like they're filmmaking in a, in a movie. Like, you know what I mean? Like, look like they're doing the process of that and not know how to do that. Um, I feel like it's probably more complicated than, uh, but I, I feel like this movie, this movie kind of has an extra layer of, of, of toughness with that specific job because um, it's not just that they're like you like I feel like teaching people to look like they are like the best band on on earth or something like that you know what I mean is a specific challenge but they're like uh you know they're supposed to like not be great at the same That's time right. so they're yeah. like so they're performing like on stage and they have to know what they're doing enough to look like they're they actually know how to play but also look like they they kind of also are not good at it uh, as or as good as like you know someone like as good as like Clash of Demon Head would have been that's right. So, so I think that with Sex Bomb, because they were amateurs, it helped in a way. But on the other hand, the recordings that we were going from were made by Beck, and they were made very off the cuff with lots of kind of mistakes in them. And so, be, because it was of the weekend, right? That's right. So, but so, so they would never say we're going to do it from bar seventeen to bar twenty. We'd be like, just play in the background. And so, so it was so random that there'd be like this kind of role here and this kind of role here. So she had to memorize which role came when. So I ended up having to do in the playback, we made up nicknames for the, for the role. So like duck dig I would say, I would call it duck dig or whatever, or, or fat that that or whatever. And I would, so on the playback, I recorded again, like the, like yelling to Mark Weber, the, the numbers, I would say the name of the upcoming role right before she had to do it. So in the her her playback, it would be da 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 and I and then it would be me saying but da 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 and then she would go da 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 like because it was just it was there was no pattern to it. It was just she had to learn this crazy sequence of events and she would have to play the whole song while someone else is doing martial arts in the foreground or something. Like it was it was it was tough for her. Yeah, I mean that's I think that'd be tough for anyone because it's you're you're basically learning parts that you know you're learning an improv part. And yeah, you're exactly. Not exactly. You have to learn the improv. And so it was uh so it was just pure memorization. Like even for me, I could have played the parts, but it's like, what's the next part? I can't remember what order this yeah. stuff comes in. And Brandon Routh, the guy who played um in the in Envy Adams band, I forget his character's name. But uh, the, he Todd, uh, the, the Todd, guy. Yeah, Todd yeah, exactly. Sure. So he yeah. he he didn't play at all. So he did a lot of work. But like I, I was thinking that he looked pretty awkward when he was playing. But and he's the guy playing the Fender competition, which is what I play. Uh, so, again, uh, I guess the, the, the person with my base in the movie is, is the bad guy or the giant asshole. But uh, <laughs> but uh, he, he worked pretty hard. But, uh, you know, he and he was pretty stiff looking. But he had to do all that that bass solo like is hard. It was they had they had yeah. a lot. They had a hard job. Yeah, that's that's the pitch that I would make. Also, that this movie is about you is is the fact that there's literally a bass battle. Like, and, you know what I mean? Like in his head, <laughs> the the thing that he comes up with as like his his like way to defeat the guy is just like let's do a bass battle. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, clear Brian Lee O'Malley is basically infatuated with me. I think that's what I want you to take away. <laughs> if you don't, that mind. is the takeaway. I want to harken back to an earlier point, if I may, Forrest, uh, that I think this movie doesn't work if everybody's playing instruments that look like they came off the rack at Guitar Center. Like, I think that, like, that doesn't work at all, especially because, yeah, yeah, like, maybe for the, you know, Brie Larson's band, okay, sure, like, you know, they're, they've got, like, the, in, the Gibson endorsement or whatever, but if you saw, like, 
this like ramshackle little punk rock band that like is barely holding it together and they got brand new instruments i would be like no fucking way no of way and every other musician would feel that way too no that was nigel godrich's point and it was yeah. like it was a sort of a piss off to these uh, these props guys, but uh, in the end, it was good. And in the comic book, because Edgar was such a slave to the the comic, he really wanted you know the kid that he hired that had no lines that he didn't play bass that it was the bass player. I think he just looked like the guy in the comic, so he was excited about this kid being in it. But it was like it's going to take this guy like three weeks of solid work to do his scenes. Like it it doesn't make any sense. But uh, uh, yeah, so I forget what my point was. But, well, the uh, moral of the story is hire more musicians to, to be in your movies and give us lots of money. That's yes. more musician actors. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. let, let me be honest here. Like, like musicians have to have a certain kind of uh, charisma to get up on stage and perform. And same thing with acting. Like, like it's it's a very similar like starting point uh, right there, which is why like you know, Bon Jovi found success acting. Um, um, what's his name from from the E Street Band on, on Sopranos? Um, uh, Steve Van Zandt. See Van Zandt. Yeah. I, I mean, like, like there's a, it's, it's, I think it's easier to have a, a, a you know, teach a musician how to act um, than, than necessarily having a actor learn to become a musician. But uh, uh, that being said though, Alison Pill really like, like, I don't know. I thought she, she looked fine to me, even though like, you know, I thought she was great. Yeah, I mean, yeah. She came from, she started with nothing and she like, she worked her ass off and she had to play a whole bunch of like punk rock stuff. Like she, she did it. I thought she was great. I thought, honestly, like the thought never occurred to me that she didn't know how to play. I just yeah. thought she was like, oh, that's cool. They got someone that can play punk rock drums. You know, so, that's literally what I thought. So there was another, uh, there were two other drummers and they were all women. Or two, one, I think it's safe to say one was a girl, the little girl who played in in uh, the little Asian kid who played. Yeah, in, were, they, were they like, were they like, she's a she girl. She was nine she's, or something. She's a she's she's a boy too or something and then yeah she exactly looks <laughs> that's, so a good, I, that's a good throwaway bit i'm not gonna I, lie I, I worked with her a lot too and she was pretty determined to do a good job she was like uh uh yeah she worked really hard and uh and then the other woman was uh tennessee thomas who was the daughter of pete thomas from the attractions really yeah she wow. was the drum she was the drummer in clash of demon head and she was good. Like she's a drummer. She's good. Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say she was determined to get her, like, to learn the specific roles. Like she didn't. Like she was kind of rolling her eyes at me, like trying to teach her that stuff. I I didn't really work with her that much. Like she was basically telling me to fuck off the whole time. But uh, anyway, she she was she was she's a good drummer, but she wasn't that nice. <laughs> um, what else was my other point? Uh, Are they ever though? No, drummers. <laughs> drummers? Uh, do you guys know do you guys know who Don McKellar is? He's he's a he's a like a writer, director, actor character. He wrote he wrote a movie called uh The Red Violin. He wrote a, a play on Broadway called The Drowsy Chaperone. Hmm. He's a he's a he had a show up here called uh um Twitch City. Anyway, um and, and he and he made movies, uh, uh, Highway sixty one revisited. Uh, these uh, anyway, I can't remember everything, but he's like the coolest, funniest guy. He it was a buddy of Edgar's as well, and he has a cameo in that great uh, scene up at Castle Loma, where he's about to call action. But uh, what's the name? What's uh, Chris? Uh, what's uh, what's the the skateboarding hunk's name? Chris uh, Evans. Um... Chris Evans. 
Chris, like, Evans. I, only, I only remember which, yeah. I only remember which which Chris it is because he was in Snowpiercer. I was going to say from Snowpiercer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's going to say. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, John McKellar is the guy in, who's directing that movie. That's the movie within a movie. And he's like, and, and then Chris Evans says action. Like he takes it from the director kind of thing. It's a very funny, funny scene. Uh, anyway, he's a, he's a Toronto guy. It, it really is. I don't really mean that this movie has anything to do with me, but it, what, what it really is kind of a love letter to Toronto. And, you know, I, you know, Edgar was good at trying to do that, but I think Brian Lee O'Malley, uh, the books were really like, it's a real love letter to Toronto that I could go on about more, but. Did you uh, know the comic books beforehand, Chris? I didn't, I didn't know anything about that world at all. No. And I didn't know Brian. Um, and his love for plum tree and that kind of thing. Apparently, he has a he has a Twitch that uh that he he draws his he he like live shows all of his. So come on, come on, movie night extravaganza, Brian. Yeah, there you come go. on, come on, come on down. Yeah, you Pass should. Ask. <laughs> he can do a raid, right? That's what you call it. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm got, faking my way through all of this Twitch business. Seriously, we got our we got our first raid the other night, and it was it, it actually you know it, it inflated the numbers quite a bit for for a few minutes there. Well, no, for like an hour there actually, it was like the second half of our show, so it, it really actually it did numbers. Yeah, <laughs> um, I had I had a point, but uh. Oh, so I have this. I have this. Uh, this this clip that I found of Edgar Wright talking about um, the marathon weekends, where he kind of told Beck like, "Oh, I want you to do the music," and he came back like a like three days later and was like, "Oh, I've recorded like twenty four songs for you," and I thought this was like a funny a funny story to throw to the panel. Um, One weekend, he wanted to do the songs, and Nigel worked with him. But he wanted to work off, I think he was working off an A-track or something that he just had at home. And he said, give me the scenes, give me lots of artwork, give me sort of some rough guidelines of what the song needs to be and let me have a go. So basically, like we printed out large pieces of the artwork from the books. We gave him all the storyboards for the sequences on boards. I gave him a list of how many songs I needed. And over a weekend... At the end of the weekend, Nigel called me and said, oh, Beck's got something for us. And it was like a CDR with like 22 songs on it. <laughs> and basically the songs were like done in a rough form. Maybe it's on a four track, actually. They're done in a rough form. He gave us versions without the vocals because the actors ended up singing on top, you know, replacing his vocals. On the album, you can get the Beck versions too. But we never got him to re-record anything because they sounded so raw and garagey. Um, that it just seemed right. And even in, in the music that's in the opening credits has was very difficult for the actors to mime along with because there were lots of fluffs on it. You know, they were sort of just kind of jamming and improvising. But it sounded so real. It just sounded like we should use that and not get him to do any overdubs. And so what he did on his four-track that weekend is what's in the movie. That's back for you. Yeah, well, as he says, like the, the the fact that they were there were these weird anomalies in in the songs that was that made it hard to to mime because we tried to learn all of the you know drop snares and weird you know cymbal hits that go on the four like this this weird part. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, as I say, like I had varying degrees of of success. Allison Pill worked her ass off. Mark, sort of less so. Mark would show up to. Uh, rehearsal kind of with a big 
cappuccino, like a big, sorry, Starbucks thing and didn't want to start working. And, and every time we did a take, well, like, that's why Mark hasn't found the success of the other. Right. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. That was the thing. <laughs> Mark would look after, look over to me like after every take, like kind of like, huh, did I nail it? And of course I'd be like, no, dude, no. it was terrible, <laughs> but you know, hopefully we can cut away. But yeah, that, that first, that first scene was so nerve wracking because there were no cutaways and Nigel was there and Edgar was there. I was like, oh my God. But anyway, no, Mark, Mark, Mark did, Mark did okay. He had, he had a, a lot to do and, and, and he, I think he's really funny in the movie too. Like I, I don't mean, I, I feel like I'm coming down on him. Like, I think he, he was good, he, but he wasn't as determined to do the music as Allison seems to say. Well, we mentioned it earlier, but it, it's, I think it's great because like anytime you see people allegedly playing music in movies and they're not really doing it, it takes me out of the experience immediately. Like, I'm just, I'm like, I, I'm watching a movie now and I'm mad about this. Like, and I wish I didn't feel that way. I wish it didn't bother me, but it a hundred percent does. See, as someone, that the, as someone that doesn't play music, I'm like, I'm like, oh, I assume what they're doing is right. I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah, that's you know I mean? but, but then there's, but then, but you have to kind of play a movie like this, especially right to the, to the people that are going to understand, um, the, like, like the, you know, the look of playing music. There's so much in this movie though. It's kind of feels like it's almost frustrating. Um, if, if you are like, if you do have to kind of wrangle together music, musical performances, number one, there's so many of them, but number two, like, it seems like they cut away from them really fast. So it's like, yeah. it's like putting all of this work and effort into something that Edgar Wright is just like, all right, cut here, 10 seconds in. Like, <laughs> right. But if it's, if it's a movie about the Beatles at the cavern or whatever, which for other reasons, it would be hard for me to watch, but I, I'm a fan, but uh, every, everything that's every true story about music is just unwatchable to me. But anyway, um, yeah, but in this movie, for it's like, you know, as I say, like Edgar looking over at me, like, how was that? I was like, well, there's an explosion in the back. Am I going to actually say, do it again? And like that guy's going to have to do that explosion, fall off that ladder again. Like as if like, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was nerve wracking for me. Yeah. It's not the, it's not the eighties anymore. You can't have that, uh, that cocaine confidence on set. You're like, do it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it does seem like one, one thing that I, I saw when I was like, you know, researching, Edgar Wright talked about this movie is that um, Michael Sarah, the, the thing where um, Ramona shows up for the first time and has the Amazon package and he tries to casually just throw the, the package into the bucket and he makes it apparently it took 37 takes or something right. or 32 takes of him trying to throw uh, something. into like, so it seems like it's, it's funny what, what is, what is put in as like a bunch of takes um, or what they do want to get perfect, um, you know, throughout, throughout this movie, like, um, Oh, I, I, I think everything had to be perfect. Like Edgar is a pretty, like, he's a sweetheart guy, but like, he really wants it done properly. And, you know, he's, you know, he's making things that last forever. Like, I think he's really got a, a body of work that would make, you know, he, hopefully he's proud. I know he's proud. It's like, because he work, works his ass off. And, you know, Michael Sarah is also a perfectionist. Like he's, he's definitely gain. you know, he seems like a kind of slacker, like whatever, man. But like, He's really into doing a good job and never like was fucking around or didn't know his lines or whatever. Like he's definitely a, a super pro guy. Well, he seems like, I mean, as much as he wants, like he does seem like he has like pretty bad anxiety too. Whenever you see him and like, you know what I mean? Like, it seems like that's, that's something that leads to you doing a lot, um, a lot better. I think in, in something like acting, because you're sitting there and you're like, Oh, if I look stupid, I'm going to, I'm going to really remember this forever. And then you work twice as hard to try to make up for that gap. 
Um, which leads to I think doing 37 takes of trying to throw a, a, a like something like a paper package into a into a basket, but um, <laughs> or being okay with doing that. <laughs> yeah, there was one point one point where I you know my playback or something that was my fault was kind of like holding up the production for a second, but like every second of like the amount of money that was burned per minute making that thing, you know, the, with a 120 million dollar budget, like. Everybody's really nice to me. Not not that they turned on me, but like as soon as it was like it was like Jesus, it's me that they're waiting for. Like that it's a it was such a sickening feeling. And they all turned, of the they turned Midwest nice. Well, all of the all the yeah, I don't know that term, but I think I know what you mean. The uh, all of the actors like uh, the Allison Pills who weren't in every scene, but they had to be in town. They had they basically were trapped in town because. You know, if they were ever like, okay, there's a bad weather day. Okay, we're going to switch to scene 72. And then everyone had to be there. Like they couldn't, like nobody could go back to LA kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like even if they weren't in any scenes. So, you know, even though I was teaching them how to play, I was also kind of babysitting them because, you know, Allison Pill was probably like, I want to go back to LA. But, you know, I'm in a scene in like 10 days, but I have to stay like, you know what I mean? Like they were just bored, I think. How was it? How was it shooting in 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 Toronto with, um? I mean, you know, Edgar Wright as someone who isn't from Canada, number one, hasn't even worked with. I mean, this is the first movie he really even worked with non uh, British actors. I'm, I'm pretty right. sure, like for for the most part, first movie he didn't work with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Who, I mean, I I feel a, a very strong connection to Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz because when I was a kid, um, like my family kind of bonded over. Um, of like watching Shaun of the Dead, like that was like one of like so we 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 owned it, we watched it again and again and again. Like that was um a movie that we, like my whole family somehow got really into for a little while for like a good <laughs> couple years. When but, I just want to point out when he was a kid, I was gonna say I have the same yeah, experience except for I was an adult. <laughs> except for it feels like it was last Tuesday. But yeah, anyway, I mean here's here's the thing. I'm wearing a, a uh, t-shirt that I got uh, when Forrest was four years old, um because it's a Canadian band. It's uh, Moxie Fruvis. Um, nice. But, uh, uh, you know, so so there you go. It's as, uh, you know, Forrest. All right, I try not to stress that part of it, but I, I, <laughs> I was trying to express the connection that I, that I feel to, you know, Edgar Wright's like early, like yeah, earlier. But work. Edgar Wright did actually spend a year in Toronto before filming the movie so he could actually know the city, which was actually kind of interesting. Because um, uh, me as an outsider, I've visited Toronto many times. Um, you know, I, I've gotten drunk with a group of Australians at a youth hostel once discussing politics one night, um, which is where I got the, if you ever hear me like bring up Newcastle, that's where I got that joke from. What well, was that night drinking with Australians? Um, but, uh, uh, come, up, you know, come up a weird amount of times on this show. So I, I, yeah. You keep interjecting in the conversation. It's hard not for it to come up, but yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, I even got money from a homeless person in Toronto once. So like, <laughs> That's when it's time for him. That's the most Canadian story I've ever heard. I feel like (laughs) I have have a I have a tiny sidebar story. So when they did uh, the scene at the place that's called Lee's Palace, which is a real place, they did it. They did it up like Lee's Palace in the old days because it was the old Lee's, and then they revamped it, and there's new Lee's, which still exists. Uh, where I'm playing with my band Tons, and you were nice enough to to give me a little plug. I'm playing there uh, this December. Anyway, um. The old, they had it done up like the old Lees. And so my band is so old that we played the old Lees and we played it so long ago that we played it the night we played at Lees. We were lived in Halifax, but we played in Toronto 
our big show at Lee's Palace was the night that the Toronto Blue Jays won the World Series. And so, oh, and so we're waiting to play because there were a whole bunch of TVs in the old Lee's Palace, which it shows in the in this movie. And everybody was watching TV, and we just said, "Well, we're not even going to start until because everybody's watching TV. We might as well just wait till the end of the game." And then the Blue Jays won the World Series, and everybody left. Ah, <laughs> so I was like, "Oh, okay." Well. Ah, that's because you you want to think, want to hope that the end of the story is that everybody like was in a celebratory mood. Crazy. Time with the rock show. They, they were in a celebratory mood, and then they ran yeah. downtown. They, they, anyway. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Yeah, because that, that was how Leafs Palace was whenever I saw Fervis there uh, with um, Sarah Celine and uh, the Supers. The Supers, I don't know who that is, but uh, uh, you probably uh, it's um, Super Friends. Uh, no, uh, the Supers was um, there was like three session guys who who would occasionally play in Toronto. Um, uh, yeah, you know, as the Supers, strike but, one. Um, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but they're, they're they, these guys are like on like you know every like solo artist like Tori Cassis or Sarah Celine or okay um, Sarah Harmer like, like they basically would make up their bands on the albums okay so so it was like those guys um and they're just you know uh I, I know like um uh, a Lafoy um is the one I can remember off the top of my head and he he played uh the upright bass for uh Chaos's song Crab Bucket. Okay. Yeah, I know who that guy, Maury Lafoy, but I, I can't picture him. But it's funny, like I always mix Maury Lafoy up with this guy named Maury Kaufman, who was the guy that that ended up replacing the guy that I got fired in that Crash of Demon in the Crash in the Boys band uh, was Maury uh, Maury Kaufman. And then he, there was another sidebar about me. Sorry, guys. Last one. <laughs> During the filming of this, Chris Murphy versus the world, folks. That's right. <laughs> During the filming of this, I got hit by a car and knocked unconscious and broke my collarbone and kind of, you know, kind of got banged up. And then, then I, so I, so I did a lot of the, the, this movie, but I ended up not doing I, like that scene with the, with the, the DJs or the, whatever, the guys playing keyboards, the two Asian guys. When, when they sort of have the simultaneous battle of the bands, like I didn't do that scene when they, when they, when they play threshold, uh, you know, I, I ran that song a bunch of times with them, but I didn't get to be there on the day cause I got hit by a car. But, uh, yeah, so I, I kind of, I didn't get to be there like on the last day, like, uh, so I, yeah, I kind of got taken out, but, uh, and that I was, was the, uh, the birth of the hit and run EP. And that's right. That's cool. And my, my band put out a, a record called hit and run right oh. after that. That's right. Oh, <laughs> I, mean, I, I want to speak for us. That is a pretty great. That is a pretty great name for you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Forrest, I want to speak to your point that I think you were trying to make before we mocked you for your youth, uh, which is that. Uh, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Well, you know what? Youth without youth, buddy. Metric. You know. We're, we're just jealous. All together, putting it, putting it all together on a. On an we're just jealous. Cycle. And we're, we're going to steal it from you. But anyway, uh, the. I heard that's what Twitch is doing. <laughs> that's 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 working class spirit. Never mind. There's a plug in for it. Uh, the but like Shaun of the Dead, like Hot Fuzz, all those. There is a certain like uh, like feel and um, fun, kind of a like sense of adventure to them. That the idea I, I like to think of like what if there's like an alternate universe where Scott Pilgrim was a huge hit? Like what would movies look like now? Because it's very even though yeah, it's, it comes from a comic book, but it's a very original kind of story and the way it's shot and how it all puts together. Like that would have like changed 
like the, at least you know not not franchise wise but that would have changed like how like popular films i think were for like the next like 10 years or so of course it wasn't so this is all just conjecture but i mean i think it's a wildly inventive film yeah. But I but I think that in some ways it sort of predicts the future, uh, you know, the comic book movies. But at the same time, I don't feel like any I, I'm not really on the pulse of the world or anything like that. But I don't feel like any anything has been this genre bending. Like it, I think that's where it was kind of like diff, like a hard sell. It was like it's hard to describe the movie like it was surreal. It was kind of, you know, uh I mean, I'd say it's it's more than it's more than genre bending. It's 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 kind of it's throwing all these things out that like really would be what somebody like Scott Pilgrim or you know anybody in his band would be into, right? Like playing video games, like you know uh, reading comics, like all these yeah. all these different interests that they have. It's kind of throwing all of that out at you. At and once. I mean, the comic is the same way too, because like the, the when the comic was published. Um, the uh it was published in the same kind of uh small format that the mangas uh were, yeah. were published and uh, which which uh because that was a big influence on uh Brian Lee O'Malley um and, and I mean uh mangas are, are very different than what we get in this you know and and uh you know um the Americas because you know we're, we're used to our floppies or whatever um but they don't have whenever they publish monthly comics they're actually like big magazines which has like 47 stories and people vote on their favorite and then they get collected into these little books. Um, and those magazines are like trash. They like leave them on subways, whatever, nobody cares, but then they have the nice library of all the little, the, the mangas, um, you know, lined up on the, on their, uh, you know, uh, that, that they collect together. Hey, Chris, can you tell that Andrew does comics? <laughs> yeah. So, so you were aware of the Scott Pilgrim comics or, or no, I, I was, yes. Um, I hadn't actually read it, uh, before the movie came out. Um, uh, but, but I was, it was on my radar. I just, um, honestly, uh, I kind of was like, there was a lot of bad knockoff manga stuff that was coming out around that time. And, um, no, uh, I didn't have anybody grabbing me by the short collar going read Scott Pilgrim. Right. Um, cause I, I know, um, uh, Dave Toby, who was Moxie Rivers' store manager. I know he was your friend at least 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, cause you were hanging out with him at that bar and, um, Oh, uh, he's putting out your he's putting out your social life yeah, right you here. Tag him? <laughs> no, well, we we used to always talk comics. Is that is why I bring him up? Um, uh, and uh, you know, he was always telling me about stuff that that I was totally missing because I was you know hanging out um, uh, for a while at a uh, comic book art museum uh, with, with like the uh, co-creator of the Ninja Turtles and whatnot. So uh, I was getting a whole other group of comics so like i kind of missed too much coffee man and that was like his jam boy they dropped a lot of toonies for that uh, one scene in the movie but andrew also dropped a lot of names there so you know. yeah I, I dropped a few today too uh <laughs> can i just say just as a canadian so a toonie is a two dollar coin the first co the first coin that came out like that was or you know bigger than a quarter was the loony so a loony is a dollar which has a that, loon on it yes and that was out for a couple of years, and then we knew that there was an there was going to be a two dollar coin coming down the the pike. And I know that my friends and I were like, "There's no way we're I'm not calling that a toonie. I won't. I will not be using the word toonie. It's like that's such a bullshit word." And now, of course, I use it, but I tried to not use it for a couple of years. But it's hard to 
you know, the doubloon, like what, are, you know, what are you going right, to, what do you say? Yeah. <laughs> They're kind of wild. I remember, I remember sitting there at the, uh, you know, uh, the first time I went to Canada with some friends and, and we were just like, why do they call this a loony? It just has a duck on it. <laughs> really? You didn't know what a loon was? Well, they sound uh, creepy as hell, by the way. I just want to, you know, throw it <laughs> they sound like, I, I well, no, sorry. Canadians. No, <laughs> it's it's just such a it's just such a passive aggressive bird. No, um, no, no loons sound loons sound. I, so I I grew up and I would go to the do uh, a little mean. bit. Do you do a mean loon? You want to do it? Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't have a tonight's no, tonight, would, tonight would, boys. <laughs> no, but I would do a. I, Are I you doing it a, now? Um, it's pretty creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I would go to Maine um during the summers and I would just like sometimes I would hear the ghostly like loon call on on, right. on like the water and it was like oh shit like this is because <laughs> the the house that I would go to like my grandpa's house was a uh, from the 1800s and people would say it was like haunted a little bit and like you know like there was some some story around it like some I guess some woman died um some or some woman's husband died and she would always wait for like there was some whole story behind it that was like in a in a guide to like the the island that it was on and um so then sometimes you'd hear the loon call and like you'd hear it over the water and it'd be like yeah this is the creepiest thing i've ever heard in my life <laughs> for the audio listeners uh friend of the show uh an avid listener jay hutch uh shout shouting out coax me as uh, one of the best lines from the 90s is not the band I hate, it's their fans. And I mentioned that only because I prefer to listen to shows on uh, podcasts like Gen X uh, rather than looking on YouTube. And uh, I think that's it. That's I agree. That is a good line, Chris. That's and just to be clear, it's it's a line from a Sloan song, just in case anybody. From a Sloan song, yes. Just in, case, <laughs> just in case there were someone who might not know what that is. Yeah. And for yeah. those of you who don't that, know, I mean, Sloan everybody. is like the third largest band in Canada. Uh you know, after like tragically hip and, and rush, um, you know, I've been watching a lot of Japanese uh, noir. So, so it's always like the third, the third best assassin is in the movie is the star. So, you know, um, right. you forgot. No means now, that yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I, uh, we're not really as big as, as people think, but I do think that <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm of two minds. I do think we're one of the greats, but we are more. I don't know. I, 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 heard, I heard young Neil listens to you and that's who I take. That's who I take my music advice from. Now, can, can we also say, I don't know if it goes farther than these two, but so one of the characters name is young Neil, which is clearly Neil young. And then the other guy in the band is Steven Stills. I don't know if it goes any farther. I don't know if there's a David Crosby character in there or. Uh... Yeah, what was Kim's last name? I kept meaning to look that up. They, Kim... they call it a like Bison Springfield or something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Is it Kim Pine, or am I thinking of something else? Yeah, no, I think it was Kim Pine. Yeah, I don't know. I Maybe I'm making that up. No, I, I I feel like that that yeah I feel like it, it was it was Kim Pines or something. Hold on. I'll, I'll I'll well you know if if you want to pitch more of the theory I'll I'll. Right you now. you needn't. Uh, my <laughs> my, you could go ahead. I'll I'll kill some time it with was, this. It was, it was Kim Pine, yeah. It is. I was right. Sometimes my sometimes my computer when I'm streaming it takes a while for the Google to pop up. But right, the Going back to See, I'm not that young. I just said the Google. The uh, <laughs> on the Google. So the 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 guitar that Stephen Stills plays in the comic is a is an acoustic. It's clearly an acoustic guitar, but the song the sounds that were being made in the recordings that Beck did were clearly distorted uh, electric guitar. 
so there was a bit of a disconnect there and like does should he should we just move him to an electric guitar but of course edgar needs everything to be like the comic um and you know all the power to him i i like that about him so we just so he would often tramp on a a distortion pedal to sort of uh hammer that reality home and i and i should also Canadian band Moxie Fruvis did do the song Splatter Splatter. Would you shut guitar. up about them? Moxie it's like the fifth Fruvis. Moxie Fruvis reference, dude. <laughs> Sorry, it's like, what, what am I going to get to talk to them about, about them on a, uh, are, they, are they paying you under the table? Like, what's happening here? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You talk about them um, more, I guess. Can no, I just? No. Say- hey, I hear you're having. Uh, I hear you're having Chris Murphy on. Can we give you a couple, a couple tunies <laughs> under the table? To- very, very good. <laughs> I, I mean, I am friends with Murray Foster on Facebook, so obviously, you know, that makes me. Uh, I'm gonna start charging um, you by the name drop. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, sorry, well, sorry. Hold that thought about Mox Fruit. Please come back to it. But I was going to say that uh, just a show. Another thing, about, just little stories that uh, it's often my foot hitting the distortion pedal, and it's always my hand as Stephen Stills close-ups. I'm uh, I'm the hand model in this one. So if there's a close-up of of a, somebody actually playing the right chord, that's it's my it's it's, it's my knobby hands yeah so. <laughs> uh, can i just also say that i think it's hilarious too that with the whole acoustic versus electric thing um i, I i'm a big beck fan i was actually a, a pretty big beck fan from early on even like the kind of like weirder crazier stuff like even pre odelay and he used to he used to do play in an acoustic through a distortion pedal which anyone that is not a musician let me just tell you that is noisy it is incredibly noisy um not exactly a normal thing to do but it's something where i was like oh yeah that's cool and that was without knowing that beck did the actual music too i, I was like oh well that's just some kind of like you know stereopathetic soul manure uh era beck business you know there, there's a song motherfucker he has i think it's a b-side on one of the uh mellow gold but it's a good usage of that where it's like wow that what guitar is that it's like oh it's like some acoustic he has that he put through like a ds1 it's like oh all right anyway whatever yeah, anyway, uh, are we allowed to swear on this? I'm just yeah, kidding. you're allowed to do whatever you want. I'm just kidding. <laughs> like every second word is motherfucker. Um, it's the name of the song, Chris. I'm Come kidding, on, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Don't uh, Moxie Fruvis have a song called Motherfucker Blues or something? Uh, that was an improv. And, uh, <laughs> no. uh, sorry, sorry for all the, the f bombs. Uh, just I know you're you're saying, can you just mention Sloan one more time? And yes. And we are the Forrest Gump of this. I'm trying to shoehorn us into every. Oh, Forrest Gump is. You're not allowed to say Forrest Gump on this show. It's okay, well, sorry. Uh, what's another? What's another word for uh, somebody who is at the zeitgeist I'm, I'm, of everything? I'm just kidding. Forrest Gump is an excellent word for what I'm saying. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But uh, I just want to say uh, that Sloan r- recorded a song that's on DGC Rarities, which kind of uh, predates uh, Mellow Gold and sort of anticipates the sound of Beck. Check it out. It's a cover of uh, two Eric's Trip songs. And in my mind, it was Beck before Beck. It doesn't matter who's counting or whatever. <laughs> I, I just like to point out that I think we still have more Moxie Fruvis references than Sloan references, but yeah, go ahead. Which is my fault. I, I should be bringing up. Oh, Sloan we know. <laughs> we know. Yeah, but Sloan's not paying you. They're not giving yeah. you any loonies. I'm just not giving you any loonies. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't talk Sloan to Patrick before you. the show, so I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> you know, Michael Sarah. Michael Sarah is a huge music fan, and he loves Weezer, and and it was kind of getting on on my nerves the whole time. I, I was kind of wishing that I could. You know, I wish that he. I literally have a Weezer tattoo. Holy nice! Wow, you are young. 
Well, Weezer, fa- Weezer factors into my first, story. It was the first concert. So my parents were getting divorced. It was the first concert that I ever got to go see that oh, I had, like, picked out to go to that I was like, because I was in middle school. So I got it to like commemorate that. Um, not when I was in, I didn't get the tattoo when I was in middle school, but I, <laughs> did you get, I one, the, did you get one Weezer tattoo for every time you saw them? No, it was just one that I saw that looks cool. I was looking for ideas and it was like the first tattoo, one of the first tattoos I got, one of the first two. And I don't know. But how many do you have? Like how many times does it say Weezer down there? Well, it's just, it's, it just turns into a bird, which is the most basic. Oh, shape. Okay, okay. I Listen, if I was, if I was myself now, when I was 18, I wouldn't have probably gotten any tattoos or maybe I would have gotten like one or two and really tried to figure out what to get. I didn't do that. I just decided, Hey, I want an, an identity at 18. So I just covered myself in like eight tattoos. Right. <laughs> and they're there forever. Like, no. Moxie. <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys know the rocket from the crypt thing. Right, that they had a thing that if if some if you got a rocket from the crypt tattoo that they would like get you into like any show and they eventually eventually enough people did it they're like hey we can't do that anymore <laughs> yeah well I I didn't know what band it was but I have heard that yeah. legend it's pretty fun John Reese tells it better but you know that's a, that's that's a good that's a good policy I like it <laughs> uh, like there a, was a so fast there was, food there... restaurant that did that too and, and they still have people coming in with their tattoos. Of a fast food restaurant? Yeah, Isn't it was like a burger logo, kind of like the Weezer logo. Maybe you can kind yes, of like it is, but I, but I didn't, maybe but I've only I only ever went to a Whataburger this year. Like that was the first yeah. time I ever, you know, was. Oh damn! I think I think Andy froze and he's out. Plan some trips to Texas to uh, go get oh, the there COVID, oh, there respect yeah. women, and get yeah. some free food. Yeah, go ahead. Nice. <laughs> I'm your biggest fan. Yeah. I love things that taste like McDonald's but aren't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it just was I because everyone was like blowing like everyone was like oh what a burger I tried it this year it tasted like McDonald's but it wasn't McDonald's I don't like McDonald's so like I any, our new sponsor what a burger <laughs> yeah anyway oh and what a burger it is folks That's <laughs> um I, I had something to say and I don't remember what it was yeah yeah but 17 minutes ago probably yeah but that's yeah. fine <laughs> I can't believe you have a Weezer tattoo that kind of blows my mind I would not expect you to have a Weezer tattoo that's yeah. Well, so right before the show, um, Jason was commenting on a Facebook post and like uh, it was a Radiohead joke where it was um, it said uh, Radiohead makes music for people that look like this. And then it was Adam Freeland from Cometown, um, which I thought was like a hilarious like reference or whatever. And then Jason commented underneath and said, actually, for people that look like this. And it was Rivers Cuomo and like but with like a creepy mustache. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, fuck, I'm not going to tell him about my Weezer tattoo. You know, good policy. <laughs> so to quickly, just a quick uh, sidebar for us. Uh, well, just like Sloan one time went down when uh, we have a mutual friend with with Weezer and we were in Los Angeles in 2003 and we and we uh, Rivers was making some demos and we went to his rehearsal space and we bunched demos as his band. Like I, I, I think I think one of them, I feel like we did un, Unbreak My Heart by maybe mary j blige or something like it's not oh, really wow. i don't and he did some like some crazy ones and maybe maybe a song called little diane or something that came out on some you know some solo record or something but uh anyway so i i have a tenuous connection to that too what was the uh, mustache factor for that session i would say that he didn't have a mustache but we went bowling with him 
And he had, we were joking that uh, he was there with a bunch of kind of people that were kind of handlers of his. And they all seemed to be like really, so like he bowled a strike at the same time as, or like Patrick went up from my band and bowled a strike and no one said anything. And then Rivers bowled a strike and everyone went ape shit. It's like, yeah. And then we we're like, anyway, we we're just joking that he, everybody's kind of like, Overvalidating him constantly, but whatever. Like I, I think he's a talent and all that kind of stuff. I have nothing against him. Well, Patrick, someone's got a player too, and a better soloist. Maybe someone's. I don't think so. Someone's got to overvalue him because fans of Weezer hate Weezer. That's like the the classic thing. You know what I mean? Fans of Weezer like like the Green album, like the Blue album, and then fucking hate Weezer from from that time on. So then he probably hires people to be like, "Hey, your new music is good too." For the next twenty years of your career, album around. Uh, I I guess I know of that uh, truism. I don't know how true it is. I think they still do pretty well. I mean, it's it's a truism to the point where, like, even Saturday Night Live made comments on it, which is like that's like the you know if something's like true in public knowledge, it's like you know. Sure. I mean, I trade places with them, but whatever, that's fine. (laughs) Nobody nobody's asking, but yeah. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Conan Cuomo, folks. I would, I would change if my name was if I had any connection to Cuomo, like any, any of that. I would change. Oh yeah, right these days especially. Him. Did that, yeah. uh, Chris? Did that get up, uh, that news and that whole scandal get up to you? Uh, Sorry, who, who's, there? what scandal? Oh, so our, so well, I'm in New York, so I should probably take this. Oh. oh, the Cuomo guy. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, I just I don't know anything except for something bad or something. I don't know. Well, all right. So I I see I I've kind of go deeper onto this than than I think even people in New York do because I was working um like at, at the Capitol. Like I was, I did an internship like at the state capitol when I was, you know, like younger when I was in college because they had like a, a SUNY newspaper that you weren't allowed to actually say anything about politicians at all besides whatever they put in press releases that sucked but um but but uh andrew cuomo was our governor and his dad before that mario cuomo was was our governor for you know a long time and was supposedly this like you know liberal liberal icon but um so everybody kind of hated everybody in new york hates cuomo anyway and um then it was revealed during the pandemic after the you know after all these newspapers really blew him up to the point where they were saying um I, I wish I had this on hand for this, but it was like there was a New York Post headline that was like, um, New York women are crushing on or coronavirus crushing on Andrew Cuomo. Is he single? Like that was literally the headline in the New York Post. And uh, because he was he was just doing regular coronavirus press conferences where he was talking about COVID numbers. But because Trump was our president, was saying COVID doesn't exist and Republicans were saying COVID doesn't exist. People were so desperate for like a figure that they could like cling to that was just saying, Hey, like COVID is real. Not that we're going to do anything about it necessarily, but just like giving them the numbers and not saying, Hey, like it's not real that uh, people really overinflated Cuomo as this figure. And then it was revealed that he had like sexually harassed 11 women or something that, yeah. that were working for him and were around yeah. him. Cause he was divorced at the time. And it seemed like, it seemed like he was going through like a, a very, um, just a very bad place anyway. And then on top of that, like if you, if you're suddenly like a, a really hated person that like, you know, cause he is, he's a despised person that suddenly has like, and, and also kind of acted like a dictator his entire time as governor. Like the way that he acted was fucking ridiculous. Like no politician 
should be able to act like that but he was like able to to hold the state i remember the first thing that the first thing cuomo really did was um he called that he was gonna when he got elected because he was like our attorney general in the state and he said that he was going to create like this corruption commission within uh 14 months they looked into his his like you know people around him he disbanded the corruption commission that was that was what he got elected <laughs> on and he that was one of the first things he did is disband is that some kind of alarm that says get back on track? And <laughs> I was gonna say it up with that. <laughs> <laughs> you have a video Ooh, alert. A video alert. of Edgar Wright talking about that. Yeah, Edgar <laughs> he's, Wright, he's yeah. in my driveway Edgar right now, setting off the alarm. <laughs> no, so the last, I guess, the last thing I really want to do on on the Scott Pilgrim track. But I can anyway, say real yeah. quick, don't worry, Chris. We know you guys. You guys had a uh, um, Rob Ford, so you know. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. It's yeah. relative. Andy, you ever smoke crack with uh with any, with any of the Fords? No, no, I haven't. But uh, uh, probably, probably bought drugs from a Ford. No, um, because uh, me, me too. I, but I I mean, but that means the car, right? Yeah, no, no. The the thing is, is like like uh, for for those of you who don't know, um, there were four. Uh, yeah, uh, there was this Gaddy it. Ford, which I, I can't remember his name, and he had four kids. Two of them went into politics, and the other two are allegedly drug dealers. Um. And uh, that's the Ford family. Uh, and one Rob, of them... Rob Ford was the mayor, and he died, uh, and he was awful. Yes. But you know, you're not supposed to speak ill of the dead. But the guy was a giant moron. Yeah, he, and his, he got and his... caught on video smoking crack. Yes, and his smarter, uh, like more like Rob Ford was kind of like a lovable dumb dumb, more like George Bush, but like even crazier and stupider. But Doug Ford is kind of like uh he's he's the premier of, of ontario and he's probably looking to be the prime minister and he's uh yeah. he's still a, a a gross force and like he's a going concern like you know we can you know there are there are smug canadians that make fun of americans you know look i you know can't believe they elected donald trump but we're we're electing some some dumb dumbs here too well i mean i that's really the thing conservatives everywhere really like you know what i mean like it's always the the smart like smart very evil ones that exist and then you know there'll be periods where somebody like bush or trump is elected to uh, a, like you know a, a big office everyone's like oh they're so dumb but those aren't the ones you really have to watch out for i mean bush was but it's the people around them and like the much smarter much right. more evil evil conservatives that like exist in the shadows that are like you know because Bannon. people really when when people when people Carl look Rose. like they're technically yeah yeah well Carl Rove is a perfect example like when, when people when people look technically able and technically whatever like liberals kind of get complacent a lot of them and they're like well at least it's not this because whatever whatever is coming down the pipeline they're like well that's a shit show but the but the shit show really can't get much done you know for the most part and it's the like deeply evil um like technically competent people that can <laughs> that have no different policy like who, who the fuck cares what they're doing besides the, the policy agenda of it you know what i mean like i i don't mean to get to keep the political thing going on the scott pilgrim thing but one just quick aside is uh I, we jo joke in, in sloan that when we play the states we usually just play blue states but and but <laughs> we we played in wisconsin the day after trump was elected and and uh and that, that night, or we were crossing the border that night that we played in Madison the next day. And I said, yeah, we don't normally play these red states. And everybody was like, not laughing. It was not funny. Yeah, because purple state and uh, blue this time, by the way. You're welcome. Oh, is it? Well, yeah, Wisconsin was never. After I moved here, it's blue. And, and, I'm wearing and Madison, blue. 
Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> Madison specifically is is very very far left. I it's mean, the like, enclave. Yeah, Dane yeah, County is one of the most vaccinated uh, counties in uh, all of America, by the way, and that's one of the reasons why one of the only shows we played this year was in Madison, uh, because it felt uh, better about that than like going to say Texas or something. You know, just, just to shout to, out to give uh, more grief to Texas. <laughs> to, to, to Madison, I did work from the uh, Arthur Cole Riggs gubernatorial race where he was running as a Lincoln Republican against uh, Scott Walker because uh, there was like some fake Democrats that, that were like just Republicans running right. um, to, to, to tank the primary and, and to split up the vote more. Wow. Uh, so he ran uh, to kind of keep the Republican voters honest. And um, uh, in Dane County, he got 25 percent of the vote hmm. of the Republican vote. And you're not taking credit for it, but we all know that. No, it was it was my artwork and my, uh, you know, uh, my very Everyone bad. People are talking yeah. about it more and more. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. People are talking about it. Um, so the last thing, the last thing I really want to talk about with this is uh, I want to talk about like the comic yes, elements. Please, for love of fuck, please put it back on track. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Oh, but I want to talk about the col- the comic elements of this and give uh, Andy a chance because I did. I grabbed a bunch of um, screenshots and I. Uh, Andy sent me something from Understanding Comics, which um, when I when I was a kid, honestly, uh, my mom was teaching graphic graphic design and Photoshop and stuff, so she used to carry around a, co- a copy of uh, Understanding Comics. So when Andy sent me that, I was like, "Oh shit, I know this book." But anyway, um, this is this is a clip to start, and then I'll I'll put up the the Google Drive where I have the the screenshots of it, and Andy can kind of take us through some of it, and then you know we'll we'll give our final thoughts, and and it's painless from there. <laughs> The idea of doing something like Scott Pilgrim that was actually, you know, had some similarities to space in the sense that it had an opportunity for magical realism and to be really visual in a way that wasn't tethered to kind of like planet Earth was really interesting to me. So I I said I was interested. And then the funny thing that happens like with Hollywood Studios is they're like, great, this is his next movie. And it's in the trades, and I'm I'm, I'm the only one going. Hey, uh, do we want to wait until he's written the rest of the series first? And they're like, oh, let's just we'll just the attitude sometimes of like execs and studio execs is like, go go go, let's make it, let's make it. Well, I was the only person sort of saying like, why don't we wait and see what the rest of the comic is? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, maybe that would be maybe be a false economy just to leap right into it. So during that period, me and uh, Michael McCall are already talking. Like, I'm talking with Brian the entire time. And me and Michael are just reading what Brian is, is like, writing. And so I think then by the time that um, we actually were going to start making the movie, um, there were three volumes released. And Brian had written the rough outlines for the other three. Although... We didn't exactly follow those outlines, and he didn't exactly make those into the final three books. <laughs> so there was a sort of point where it kind of like naturally diverged. So one of the reasons I think that the movie looks so close to the comic is because we had full access to Brian, and he could literally tell us um, what locations he had drawn. Sometimes he had the photos. That's right. Yeah, 
I, I mean, the location wise, um, you know, just, just for me wandering around, uh, uh, I, I was like, uh, when I first watched, I was in the theater and I was just like Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, you know, pointing at the TV set going, Hey, I know that. I know that. Um, you know, uh, so, so like, you know, kind of, uh, the movie definitely captured Toronto in a way, um, like somebody who's been there. Um, but, but, um, uh, the, the, uh, it also did capture like the, of the comic because like, uh, um, Brian Lee O'Malley really does pull heavily from, uh, Japanese, uh, Japanese manga. And there's a lot of like, um, uh, like cuts to the, to the faces, um, like all of a sudden, like like uh, Nye's face goes blank, you know, blank, and they have like this almost like they they animate like these big bug eyes and mouth, which is like a shorthand in in uh, uh, manga, uh, oftentimes for for like a you know particular expression and and, and like like um, uh, the 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 sound effects kind of capturing the motion as well, like like that, that whoosh that we just saw, um, just was absolutely wonderful little things put in there that that's um a bit of a throwback even to, to batman uh which which i loved uh that um and and um you know part of the reason actually why i brought up the the understanding comics was because uh me and conan were talking about how like we really like michael sarah in this movie but like we're not really big fans of michael sarah's work in general like like i don't i, I don't want to put words in your mouth conan um but 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 like like we we, we like his other stuff it's um, yeah. There's some, there's some yeah. cool stuff. There's a bunch of stuff that's not for me. That's a nice way to put yeah, it. That, yeah. That's some silkworm Tim midget uh, uh, wisdom to no, how to describe I, stuff I don't care for. But but the the, the brilliance of, of uh, casting Michael Sarah in this was was uh um uh and I, I hope Forrest didn't leave because he has the uh, folder with the uh, image here. Um, was this idea that Scott McCloud brought forth uh, in understanding comics about how like cartooning is um, simplifying lines to, to, to uh, for the viewer to be able to put themselves in it. And, and uh, Michael Sarah's like one of those actors who, who kind of captures that, that, that uh, subtlety of, um, uh, of cartooning. Uh, I think Keanu Reeves is, is another good example of that uh, where like they they almost have like a blank expression for themselves. And then, and then you as the viewer are able to uh, go in there and put your own self into the movie, which is why the movie is about Chris Murphy, which is why the movie, you know, sometimes I felt like it was about me, um, which is why I think, you know, I'm going to speak for Conan again, that, that, that the movie's like, Conan, you know, Conan relates to it uh, in his ways. Um, and, and I definitely uh, related to the I one with that, the T-bar moments ago, by the way, but yeah, go ahead. Yes, <laughs> yes right there. <laughs> Now, do you know, can I just say my vocabulary immediately wanes, but do you know what I'm talking about? My, my son, my 14 year old son watches, you know, some stuff like, uh, like Naruto, Naruto or these, I don't know, these mm -hmm. Japanese animation things. There's a character named like Misa Misa or Misa Amane or something from, uh, is there something called Death Note? Do you know what that is? Uh, I know Death. I've heard Death Note is really good. Well, um, yeah. he, he said that Envy Adams was, uh, he showed me a picture of this character Misa uh, from from Death Note, and the Envy Adams is clearly ripped right out of that. It looks. I'm she not looks surprised. Exactly that yeah. it has the big boots and the same exact hair and all this stuff. So yeah, and and can, like they, can they I just say I would love to Photoshop Protonic into this so it says Wow Protonic commercial. Anyway, nice. Thank you. Nice. Yes. Yes. Please. This is your bit, Andrew. Sorry, I'm walking all over it. Um. 
but yeah, it, it's uh, nice that uh, it wasn't, you know, uh, and yes, video games were influential and we, we can all see that uh, very obviously, but, but like, um, you know, the, 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 you know, we can't uh, overstate the fact that they did actually capture the energy of, uh, of manga. And you can even see it like uh, some anime kind of do that. Uh, I'm not, um, I'm not going to pretend I'm a big anime fan. I've watched my, you know, I, I have probably watched more anime than most people have, but um, uh, I know people who watch way more than I do. So, you know, uh, but, but uh, you know, I appreciate the good manga cause. Oh, I grabbed, I grabbed those because there was throughout the movie, there was a bunch of uh, hints to the exes thing. Yes. And, yes. Yeah. So there's oh, yeah. The, no, there's the beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. he throws, he throws his X patch on the ground. That's what that is. Um, Kona, did you send me the letterboxed uh, reviews or? Nope. Uh, I can, I can, I can, I can though. Um, I was, I was just wanna, wanna just white knuckling just my way through doing that stuff. Uh, yeah, no, you want to just text? Yeah, them I'll, I'll, I'll throw them, I'll throw them in the G drive. Uh, right. So I just want, yeah, just, you know, real quick, adding to that. Um, Here, I'll, I'll throw. If you do that, I'll, I'll put the, uh, I'll put the the Google Drive on for the, if if Andy's Okay, cool, 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 right on. Um, We're in this live, yeah, figuring this out. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. This this is how the sausage gets me. I don't know how I managed to turn like one of the only things where I just show up and be clever into more work for me, but it's a special skill and it's a cone of neutron thing. I don't know, but whatever. I didn't see the thing is I like I like that you're doing that, so I'm not please don't I'm sure you do. Over. I no, I do. But <laughs> you know how much work I actually put into the show. But I anyway, I no. so I, I mean like, we all put I, in no, I do I do <laughs> like this, but I do wanna I wanna I wanna alleviate concerns that I didn't I, I wasn't the one that pushed you into like you know putting more. This is all me, man. This this is yeah. like everything I do. In life. Like, <laughs> that's all me, man. I, it's fine. Because you're like, wow, you're gonna really work Conan into his grave on this podcasting thing. Hey, while we're uh, while we're doing this, Chris, you got any other uh, fun stories about uh, doing Scott Pilgrim versus the World? I think I blew through most of my boring stories, but thank you for giving me the opportunity. I, I just have them written with no rhyme or reason, so I didn't really. No, that's great. Um, well, that's great because you've, you've been on my show twice and we didn't really get a chance to get too much into it other than a few things. So that's, I, I think that's really interesting. Um, I, I, I have one, one aside is that uh, the, 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 the acoustic guitar um, uh, of uh, Stephen Stills, the, the ref, they were just had all that Gibson brand new stuff. So I brought in p pictures of Willie Nelson's guitar. Uh, so that I think became one of the reference points for they they really banged up his acoustic guitar. A yeah, lot, I was like, thinking that like with that close up. Yeah, because he has a big hole in it now. Willie does, yeah. Yeah, because because he's where he stores all the weed. Yeah, that's back to me being clever. It's a strength for me on this show. I feel you know. So good. He's gonna, he's gonna get pissed when eventually like weed's legal and he's put a fucking hole in his guitar. But you know. <laughs> so is I mean, weed is uh, weed illegal down there? Uh, some of the states. Yeah, it goes state by state. Right. That's why you only play those blue states, though, right? That's right. Um, yeah. <laughs> Especially Chris. Yes. Actually, the, the, one, the one the one Cuomo connection is that it felt like keep so, it brief. <laughs> no, so it felt like when Cuomo got caught, he suddenly like weed suddenly kind of got legalized after kind of promising for a long time it would, and not doing that every time. So like I was wondering like if he had stayed governor and just kept like getting caught doing things. Like, would more and more stuff become legal? Like, all of a sudden, like yeah. he gets caught with more, and he's like, oh, "All right, well, I just hit 15. 
um, is co- like cocaine's legal now in the state. Right. Like, or, or, like, or, or he like uh, you'd have Medicare or something. You know, yeah. Like, like Medicare. You know. Well, I don't think that's ever going to happen, but I feel like you could legalize more and more drugs. As, as, but that's how we get implemented is as a distraction. <laughs> as a distraction from the sex scandal. Like, I feel like legalizing yeah. drugs is the best distraction. No, right? the like, taxes from cocaine will fund your health care. <laughs> We have more money than we know what to do with. Fucking Cuomo looking like Scarface with the desk and like the the COVID. <laughs> Everyone tune into the show just to hear Chris Murphy is very puzzled right now. <laughs> like, what show did I um, get into? Tell so, me more about um, American so politics. Continuing, to, yep, that's American here. politics, and not just you know jokes that came up with it. Um, uh, so going going into the the comics part of this, um, where we left off, I, I felt like. Um, I, I found it very interesting. This um, this movie seems to be connected to the comic part of it more than I, I like. I, I feel like I've never seen that necessarily in, in a movie where it's connected to the comic side of it without being in like an animated movie. Um, yeah. To this level, right? Like, Tank the, like Girl every time. Tried. Uh, I mean, like uh, if you've ever suffered through Tank Girl, um, uh, I, I have it on DVD and and seen it multiple times. But um, I'm trying. Ice T really is a kangaroo. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, that, that, that's all you worth it for that alone for someone yes. like me. Sorry, that's no, all no, I know him as. Does he do something else? I'm sorry. Yeah, does he, he does other things. <laughs> <laughs> also, early Naomi Watts role. Uh, she's Jack yes. in that. Yes, it, it's it's and I mean, it's got Malcolm McDowell as the villain. So you know, right there. Yeah. You, you got so many things right about the movie. It's just does he hit the does he hit the kangaroo right in the yarbles? <laughs> um, but, but the movie's a little incomprehensible um the, the way it's put together because it is so like like they tried to do scott pilgrim and failed um yeah and, and so i have a feeling like conan's vision of like what would the world look like with uh you know uh movies trying to look like uh scott pilgrim we'd have a lot more tank girls than we'd have scott pilgrims as uh for mm. one day. So you're thinking it'd be more like sort of hacky, good attempts, but uh, yeah, what, and I mean, what like we call in my camp, uh, good guys, bad band, GGB. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I went to the uh, to the museum oh, that's to not see. The GG um, I would have, I would have thought of with. Uh... Um, I begged my parents to take me to the red carpet uh, theatrical release where they had the comic book celebrities on the red carpet. Um, so it was like you know the creators of the Ninja Turtles, Neil Gaiman, um, all, all those kind of people just showing up. Uh, on the red carpet to go to the Academy of Music to to see the movie. Um, they wouldn't do that. Uh, I tried to go see the the film in the theater, and they actually tore down the theater. Uh, like it was in the newspaper, but the theater was gone. Well, they heard they heard you were coming. They, they heard it. <laughs> it was how bad the movie was. It's they over, Johnny. It so tear it down. <laughs> the theater. Um, I, I mean, I, I love Tank Girl, but it is an incoherent mess. Um, and I think Scott Pilgrim is is what Tank Girl was achieving. You know, trying to achieve. But but didn't quite do it, um, sadly. But but they did have like the the little uh, animated moments. They had um, drawings from the guy from Gorillas, uh, Jamie Hewlett, um, uh, doing like little bits where where like you know oh she puts a brain in a tank in one of the cartoons. Like you just see Tank Girl like laughing maniacally with his brain brain in a jar. She's putting it in the tank, and then later in the movie she's just talking to the tank, and the tank's responding. And it's like oh she really did put a brain in the tank. Okay, like. like it's a weird that movie's movie. on that movie's on cable a lot recently for some reason. I haven't really figured out why, but I've got to see Ice T as a kangaroo quite a bit lately. Yeah, no, and he's more great. than you would expect, which is zero. Are we about I mean, to watch something, or do I? Do you want to hear my dumb, 
joke. Yeah, no, we're not. We're there. not about to watch it. This is just the. I, I grab certain screenshots from the movie. Go so, ahead. so my kid is fourteen, and he's really into gorillas now, and he's telling me the names of these people, and one of them is Murdoch, and then I was conflating Blur and Radiohead, and I was thinking Mur Murdoch, and sorry, I was. Anyway, I ended up. My joke in my head was. Uh, kid A team, like Murdoch was on the A team. Like, and I was the A -team. Like, yeah, like, of course. I was just thinking the kid A team is just like take A scenes from the A team, but like with Radiohead, Kid A uh, music over top of it. And anyway, that's going to be my, uh, I'm going to try and get a million hits on that. Anyway, so what? <laughs> <watch this. laughs> What's this about Como? Cuomo? I, I would take <laughs> exactly. Oh, I, I, almost sexually sexually harassed the grill. No. Moving on. I don't want to talk about sexual anything, but but one one I, little I, thing no, about this movie. Scandal. I just want to, Well, know. just that 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 uh you know I you can gloss over this. I don't have a point about it, but like you know, the fact that he's like in his twenties and he's dating a seventeen year old girl, I don't think they I think they probably wouldn't have done that even now. Like the difference well, between yeah. two thousand and nine right, so and, and now. That, that's something that's something to talk about because I, I think that see, I wrote down notes about this and um you know I don't have a lot more to say about it. In fact, I don't want I, to say anything more about it, but but yeah, it's just <laughs> something that I figured is kind of even at the time was bit risky but now i don't think i think they wouldn't do it well it's, well i guess i force we have I notes do. about it but you're trying to get it in during moxie fruvis references so you, you understand exactly right. i don't want to make i don't want to make any jokes no, I, so i i agree with that i don't think they would have done that now but it's interesting that i think that they make sure to tell you like oh this like he shouldn't be doing this like even his which I, this movie also kind of um gets shoehorned in during a a specific time where it seems like mainstream uh movies and tv are finally kind of at least in America are kind of I mean at least in the U.S. you know what I mean like are like um, are, are finally kind of starting to um, accept the fact that people are gay and you can have gay characters and the gay characters yes I, be, I, I, be, be yep. the sassy side character but you know yep <laughs> like, um, but and I think that they do, I think that they take great pains to do uh, to explain that they they don't even kiss like they're not sexually involved yeah. and, and he hasn't even kissed her all he's done is held hands with her i think i think that they were trying to be careful about it even in 2009 at the same time though i think that there is a a functional plot element to that character like knives chow and i think she breaks out of it at the end which is kind of an interesting um you know it's an interesting thing because it feels like it's kind of like a, something he's created almost in his mind right like it's a chinese schoolgirl in canada who's wearing literally the schoolgirl schoolgirl uniform is really into the same video games he is, is like obsessed with him. The parents are so strict that she doesn't even know that good music exists. She claims, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's almost as if he's created this amalgamation in his mind that he really needs at this point where, and, and it sets up later the fact that, you know, he gains self-respect because he doesn't have that self-respect and he's creating this, this character in his mind based on the anime he's watched and the video games that he plays that he's like, Oh, this is someone that's so, um uh not subservient but like so like looks up to me to the point where she's like oh you're like the first music i've ever heard so there's an interesting i think plot element to it where you know she's literally she's literally a character that's so one-dimensional in, in the beginning at least mm -hmm. that he's like this is something that's just satiating my ego it's a groupie it's the groupie to end all groupies you know what i mean like yeah. it, so he's creating that in his mind i don't think that it would happen today but i do think that they make pains to show that it's not a sexual relationship because they want to show you like this is 
like it's not like Scott Pilgrim, you know, that character or Michael Sarah's, you know, persona in his mind is going to be like, I'm a hypersexual masculine man. I'm going to have sex with a schoolgirl. He needs something for his ego after this breakup where the, the, you know, his, his ex-girlfriend has found far more success than he has mm-hmm. um, to like make him feel like, Oh, like this is like, this is somebody looking up to me. That's never even heard music. And my music is so good. This is the first music they've heard. And they literally just exist. And then, it instantly gets punctured when she's like, Oh, I like Clash of Demon Head way more than I like your, like, you know what I mean? Like, so it's a funny, and then that's his insecurity kind of the same way in his head seeping into it. Um, so I, it's, it's interesting, but it's also, yeah, it's, it's, I don't think it's something that would happen right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just touchy. And I don't, again, I don't want to talk about it too much because I don't know what I'm saying and I don't want to say something that I'll regret for the rest of my life. But, uh, yeah, but I do think that the movie does. You know, it it uh, has lots of gay characters, and uh, you know the, you know the she's had the affair with the woman, and it's just all kind of, you know, they kind of play it up a little bit, but I think it's all kind of normal, normalized, and all that kind of stuff. But it's still it's played for it's uh, it's played for laughs in a way that I I don't think it's that true. would be yeah, yeah true. I don't think that it would be right now, and I don't think that's I'm not that's not a detract a detraction on the movie. I think for mainstream yeah. audiences. It was coming in at a time when, like, you know, I mean, at least in the U.S., like, gay marriage wasn't even legalized in 2010. You know what I mean? Like, it's coming at a time when it's normalizing something, which is good. But it is it is interesting to look back on that time period because it's a very short, I think, time period between, um, like, it's a time period between 2008, I think, and 2014, really, where they're making sure that, like, you know, I mean, for, for mainstream audiences, um, like, gay characters are getting very normalized very quickly. And I'm yeah. and I'm actually impressed that as a society, like we've, nor- like we've normalized that as fast as we have. Um, in, in, in we moved in, forward. We've done a lot of work. We've moved a lot forward in uh, in a very short amount of time culturally. Uh, if you look at the long scope of history, yeah, yeah, because like if you look at forty years ago, just you know, in, in most American cities, cops could just go, oh, we like you know they could set someone up that they think is gay, like a like a co-tel pro situation, and just kind of get them arrested and be like, well. <laughs> You know, like, it's like, so thinking about how fat, like, I don't know. So I found that I find it interesting to look at those cultural norms and how they shift throughout um, like mainstream spaces, because obviously there's been movies that have gone out of their way to, um, you know, to, to comment on that, but not necessarily in a way that it's like, all right, this is something that we want to normalize right now. Um, wow. We got COINTEL pro in, and I thought we couldn't go further than uh, Doug Ford, but here we are <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm over here. I'm the, I'm the COINTEL bro. So there you go. <laughs> God damn it! Right, well, well bold. <laughs> but um, yeah, and, the, so and, there, and and whatever for what it's worth, there there are women in all the bands. Like every drummer is a woman, and there's at least a woman in every band. And there's you know the two women or yeah two and two two women and one man in uh, Clash of Demon Head. Anyway, that's pretty good odds. Like. Uh, I play music with a lot of people and they're all dudes. Well, I really, I really like that. I, I like the line where I'm um, on the wrong side of history. <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I like the line with uh, the, like the young, the young, the young Asian girl you mentioned where it's like, um, it's, uh, it's crash of the boys or whatever. And then they're like, Oh, is she a boy too. And the guy goes, yes. And then she <laughs> flips them off. <laughs> but um, I don't know. So going through a couple of these slides, that was the base battle one that was it? Okay. <laughs> no, wow. this is the, Wait, where did you get that from? <laughs> no, this is the, the 
So the viewers have been looking at for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know. I made it up. I wanted to connect it to Chris's life. Um, yeah. that's, there was that's, no base battle. That's my uh, my memoir, base battle. Base, base battle, a memoir. Chris Murphy. <laughs> what do you say? It's your autobiography? Anyway, Very good. Very good joke for me and you. You might as well have texted yeah. me that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, what uh, I thought was fun about this scene is that that uh, the Punisher defeats Superman. Yes. <laughs> good. Well done. Well done. This was always this was always the funniest scene to me because well, you know, and what, what's she and she's Captain America or something, right? She's Captain Marvel. Yeah, Captain, Captain Marvel. Marvel. Yeah. That's, but that's she a was, lot of them in she one. She was scene. what? She was 18, 19 during this shooting. Like it's the first thing she's ever been in yeah. apparently her um Brie Larson's like uh well, she's a child actor I think but yeah but like I mean, the first yeah. I, I guess as an yes. adult they, they they made a big deal about her audition tape apparently it was like the best audition tape they saw and like it, it went viral at some point when this movie came out and like or I don't know they I, I, I just heard about it in the commentary I didn't watch it but um I, I I thought that she I thought she talked like her character until I saw her in other things like I remember seeing this movie when it first came out and just assuming that that's what Brie Larson talked like. And then um, watching Captain Marvel and be like, Oh no, her voice is like an octave deeper. And you know, <laughs> um, but I always thought this was funny because like every, every girl I've ever been involved with, I think has been like a vegan. And uh, like, so like when they're like, Oh, vegans are just better than most people. Like that's how every vegan I've ever met acts. <laughs> like, yeah, oh. it's like that joke uh, how do you know if somebody's a vegan they'll tell you yeah <laughs> don't ever make that joke to a vegan though they get very upset Ex- well except for like You're maybe like, what's funny about that because <laughs> like johnny marr is still uh uh i think he's still a vegetarian i don't know if he was ever vegan but like uh you know he's just like but that's just just because he wants to stick it in morrissey's eye uh, sorry, he's yeah. not a he's not an oval lacto vegetarian. No, anything with a face. It's like, and everybody always brings it up in every interview. And it's like he's Johnny fucking Marr. He's like one of the best guitar players alive right now. Why are you asking about his dietary habits? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So there's, I mean, yeah. So I, I like I like that this is uh. I like this. I like this movie is connect. It's connected to. I feel like the comics and like uh, this, like uh, these styles of drawing and like you know um, intrinsically. And I don't feel like necessarily a lot of movies do that. Because um, I think O'Malley actually made those uh, posters like that. Yeah, probably. I, I think I was watching something where where you saw him drawing those uh, for the film. That makes sense. He was around. He was he was there for a lot of it. cool yeah and i like i like i like this part too um yeah i mean i don't i don't necessarily you know there isn't too much more that i wanted to so 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 if that would be i I would i would uh if that was a meme i would say godzilla versus kong 2021 (laughs) 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 and i would crack myself up and that's really worth it yes for for amateur meme work yes folks like most of my music Anyway, 
You ready to do the letterbox and then I'll go to final yeah, it's been, it's, yeah. It's been a minute. So Chris, this is a, I'm going to direct this directly at you. Uh, there, there's this, I, I'm not sure if familiar or not, but there's this site called letterbox that is sort of like a social media for people who like film. And okay. uh, it, it's a social media. People like uh, log the movies they watch, log movies they want to watch. They review them, you interact, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing it's kind of almost best for, I would say is just these kind of quick, Quick hit little one-liner reviews. And uh, as a bit for this show, because again, I can't just show up and like be funny or like interesting. I have to like put a lot of work into it and like make it hard for myself as I collect these things from Letterboxd, uh, my favorites. Uh, and, and it may not be like, you know, poignant, funny, whatever, whatever. Um, but Letterboxd, uh, Movie Night Extravaganza, the show is on Letterboxd. You can follow the show, which is really just an A-list for Forrest. Uh, I'm on it as well. I, I actually use it a lot. Uh, I have whatever reason, like serious memory problems for like what movies I want to watch. So it's been fantastic for me to just be like, oh my God, yes, I have it right here. And I know that I want to see that. I know where it is. Uh, good service. Um, good idea. But these are the reviews. So we do a funny reviews and like, uh, here they are. And I did this very last minute. So we'll see how it works. Yeah. <laughs> I also, I want to point out that it's hilarious that I just kind of use all the show branding to just shoehorn my own stuff into it like when i'm like oh i just watched this and i'm like this is the movie night extravaganza letterbox i'm gonna write a review <laughs> i mean the show but the thing is but okay let me counter that the show is you man like i'm i'm, yeah. I'm here like you know w working hard and andrew's over there referencing moxie fruvis and then we yeah and i drew all those pictures like hey you think that's easy <laughs> the, the the art you know it's the art is the album art uh you know it, it's a band and and like you know, Chris Murphy in this case is our uh, our guest soloist, if you will. Uh, nice. Like it all works. Whatever. I'll take it off. All right. Put it under, Are put you it ready for? <laughs> all right, Lily. If someone proposes to me but doesn't say I'm in lesbians with you, I am simply saying no to their proposal. <laughs> nice. But see, that's but that's kind of what I mean by like that that cultural moment, right? Where it's like. You can kind of just like the, there's the moment earlier in it where he's like uh, Michael Sarah's like oh you had a sexy phase like you can kind of it's like pushing that like pushing the, the the narrative that you know normalizing like like gay marriage normalizing gay relationships into like this thing where it's like Michael Sarah kind of just make an awkward comment about it and it's like all right yeah it's 2010 perfect. <laughs> well, I mean earlier the conversation of the movie was like um, uh, his roommate said it's the L word and he goes. Lesbian? Yeah. So the other no, lesbians. <laughs> but also yes. his roommate also his roommate's gay. And then his roommate says, even I wouldn't date a 17 year old. Like you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's a it's like a I don't know. It's I, on the cusp before more evolved times. But anyway, we, we can all that's uh that's uh that's Lily there with it, that one. It's 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 on that cusp, but also like riding that cusp hard, you know what I mean? Like it's 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 like progressive for 2010. We have to look at where Absolutely. we are now. And it's like, yeah, no. So it's an interesting thing that I thought about watching it this time. I would let any of these ladies punch me in the boob. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's Muriel. <laughs> Sorry. Like I'm 12, I guess, but I, that's <laughs> <It said> boob. <laughs> also look at the tags with Andre and hot people are the tags for that one. So there you go. Eh. Hey, it has that it has that nice 99 likes. 
I, I, I think uh, also I would love to think in my personal uh, discography of this, it's um, my dinner. Conan, you're, Conan, you're a dick. You didn't like it and you didn't give them the hundred. I, I, I did it afterwards. I, I always okay. thought right, 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 eventually. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, but I did think about that. Yeah. Hey, Conan, my dinner with Andre. Yeah, with remember when I called you a dick? I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we regret the error. <laughs> Are we going to ignore the fact that he murdered seven people? <laughs> <laughs> That's Al pa Which, pa uh, by the way, when were scripting it, original ending was going to be the reveal that he actually is a serial killer. <laughs> um, and they decided, like, no, this isn't going to work. So, so they scrapped that idea. Zodiac That's you learning one too many things in, I think. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. My, I watched it with my kid, and he was like, like he was, he was noticing it. He's like, he's just, ki he's killing these people. Like, he was kind of <laughs> put off by that. He also gets killed. But you know, because he's the main, he's the he's the main character. I'm not going to say hero because he's not the hero, but he's the main character of his own story. He can respawn. But right. protagonist, yeah, like the lives. yeah. Protagonist is the word you want. Yeah, but not even protagonist because he's kind of also the villain. He's yes, antagonizing well, himself. Mega Scott Pilgrim, the antagonist. <laughs> we get antagonized frequently by Mega Conan, and it's not. Yeah, there's a feeling antagonized by this bit. Let's move on. There's a tiny uh, little inside baseball thing when he's talking to the evil Scott at the end, and then he's talking about uh, the, a restaurant that he goes to, and they put something on waffles or whatever the comment is. But he's talking about a little breakfast place uh, called Saving Grace in Toronto. Anyway, just uh, some inside baseball. Sorry, go ahead. Um, I think this guy's a hater. Yeah, I was gonna say this. This one is uh, so Matthew Film Guy is a regular on the show and a, and a friend of the show, and I had to pick this one because he's a bit of a bit a bit of a film buff, but also has very uh, well to say selective tastes, right? So, but yeah, that's not. But see, there's the there's a deeper connection to this to this. If, mm -hmm. no, if no, you wanted no. to read into it, he did the last Aubrey Plaza movie, so that this I, is the I, first Aubrey Plaza movie. So you can say that he's like he's like you know what my Aubrey Plaza movie was better. Then <laughs> they're very also very different, but uh, yeah, of course, Sorry. the actual review is very clever. Is he being <laughs> sarcastic? Well, it's three stars, so I assume so. Yeah, are, but like, are either of his likes sarcastic? It's hard to tell, you can't really tell a sarcastic one of the likes is Conan. <laughs> one of them's me, clearly. I like Which, my by the way, you liked this one before saving it. You didn't like the other one to give it a hundred on the show. So but this this guy needed some likes. <laughs> I, I, I love having Matthew Pope guy on. It's just I don't know. I just every now now every time I see Aubrey Plaza in a movie, I think like, oh like, you know. That's that's uh that's Matthew Film Guy's future career. Like, sorry. Well, Matthew half the Film audience guy, wants to talk about Aubrey Plaza. Matthew so. Film yeah. Guy makes movies. Yeah, he worked as an editor like on the film Black a, Bear. Uh, yeah, he made the movie Black. He, he edited Black Bear. Sorry. He also he, uh, teaches a film class, and uh, he's sorry, a very knowledgeable what's his, guy. What's his connection to Aubrey Plaza? Are you, is it real or imagined? No, Black real, Bear no. is uh, the last movie she did. Oh, okay. She's dead, but it, it was the movie that came out right as the pandemic started. Matthew Film Guy edited uh, Black Bear and he went to Sundance and stuff. He finally got to edit a feature film because he's been an editor for a really long time. It was time. actually really interesting how he did it too because he was on set editing the uh, the dailies um, okay. like as the movie was going on so they could figure out pickups uh, as, the, as they were filming. Oh, that's so, cool. so it was actually kind of an interesting uh, creative process. Good movie, good dude. Two likes. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> 
And then I think the last one, oh, right? Oh no, was no. that was that? A, that was the last one. It's got her in the power of self-respect. There you go. Yeah. Can I, oh, guy in the power of self-respect. Can I tell you my son's two two word uh, review of Jaws? I tried to get my fourteen year old to watch Jaws, but he turned. We had to turn it off after the first act. He wasn't having it because it was <laughs> scary and boring. <laughs> I just thought that was such what? a fun, funny combo what? of things. Anyway, one of the greatest movies was scary and boring. I just thought that was so such a that, funny review of such a great yeah. classic. When I was when I was uh, when I was a kid when I was a kid, my parents would always talk about Jaws when we were in that main house that I was talking about. Yep. It was like on the water. They'd be like, "We should watch Jaws this summer," and it was like, "That is not the movie I want to watch." Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, uh, before I forget, um, Chris, you're playing a show tomorrow. Right? I am, so, yeah. So I'm playing, yeah, the first show since uh, March 2020, I guess. Oh, hell yeah. And yeah, it'll uh, be fun. So if you want to go see some Sloan, go get yeah, it. It's, uh, you're, too, you're too late, but but uh, but uh, yeah, I think we're, it's going to be fun. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it's supposed to be like an intimate show, I understand. Uh, every show now is intimate uh, with us as our as our fan base dwindles. No, I'm just kidding. It is uh, it's uh, it's limited capacity. So I think you can play full capacity shows uh, in Ontario here, but uh, but we and our shows they weren't even announced, and you and you could still anyway. We we kept it at limited capacity just because we thought that people might want to uh, not be packed in like sardines. So we're playing a place that holds a thousand people, but they're it's capped at. 250 but we're we're playing uh two shows tomorrow night and a show the next night so it'll be it's fun. a phoenix right that's uh, right it's called the phoenix yeah where sloan in 1992 opened for jaw wobble <laughs> jaw wobble jaw wobble i have heard that during the show like it's uh, the american bandstand pil thing have i told this oh yeah that's okay. hilarious yeah, yeah. Oh, so Chris, you're the first person to ever fucking know this reference, but it's brilliant. Like, so everybody knows Public that is on American Bandstand with Dick Clark. Yeah. And Dick Clark really wants to talk to the controversial Johnny Rotten, John Lydon. And he they they do this real kind of like transgressive thing. Like uh, Johnny's like running around the the he's involving the crowd. It's very much not your typical American bandstand. Is it lip synced and they refuse to lip sync kind of thing? Yeah, like and, and there was and it's very clear that he's putting no effort into it all and yeah. just like basically taking the piss, right? Um, Does but he have then, headphones on? Is that the one where he has headphones on? I don't know if Anyways, he has headphones so. on or not. But but uh, jaw wobble sitting, Dick or Clark, maybe that's a different one. I think that's a different one. But Dick Clark goes over to ostensibly talk to Johnny Rotten only who he's very excited to do, but he kind of like obligates himself into talking to Martin Atkins, talking to Keith Levine and Joe Wobble who knowing full well that Dick Clark gives exactly zero F's about the bass player <laughs> knows he has one second for like this moment in like TV to go out, blast it out to the world and be lost and before the lost end of time where yeah, he has to introduce himself and he says, Jaw Wobble, the Jaw Wobble. <laughs> and I saw this and I'm like, that's incredible. Because for me, I'm like, what a, what a genius move. Because I, I remember that now, right? Yeah. And, uh, uh, but it's, yeah, I mean, obviously he had a great story career and, and is big in his circles, but it's like, this is Dick Clark. 
America's what America's teenager. Is that what they call them? Like, I mean, what, yeah. what is it? Ridiculous appendation that goes with them. Uh, so anytime I think of Jawa, Wobble, I think of that story, but no one ever, Chris Murphy's the first person. This is why we're, well, I'm embarrassed. I, I don't even remember the, the I, I know that they were on and I know that everything they did TV appearances was just like, it's just cringe. I, I'm also thinking of the other one where he's sitting in a chair and he blacked out all his teeth and he's yeah. Well, he wants to like yeah. It, it's yeah. it's like being like a, a Twitch or Twitter thing like uh, back then. But I even so I talked to the biggest PL fan I know. I said if I change my Twitter and Instagram handle to be Kona Neutron, the Kona Neutron, would you get that reference? He's like, I don't think so. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do that <laughs> because, <laughs> because people just get think I'm an arrogant asshole. So anyway, whatever. You can cut all that out for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're on, we're on, we're on YouTube too, baby. This isn't like we're we're not live yet, right? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, by all the right. Point. So we're twenty we're seconds gonna... away from two hours. You want to cut it in tw in fifteen seconds, or are we going to go up for how well, long so, does it go? So we do the we do the we do the final thoughts. Oh, okay. Um, started with you, Chris. Uh, you know, any any final thoughts you have on the on the movie and take you through this. Uh, I would just, I guess I have this personal connection to the movie. I think it's a, it's a classic that will live forever. And I get to, I got to be a part of it and, you know, meet these people from Michael, Sarah on, and these people when they were like at the height of their thing. And Michael Sarah was so funny. Edgar Wright was so great and gracious with me. I made some money and uh, I can see my hands on there. And uh, and now my kids are older and can appreciate it and think it's cool. And uh, no, I'm I'm uh, very happy to have been involved in such a classic. Money, impress kids. What more can you want? That's Conan, famous final hands. thought. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's uh, fun, bright, beautiful, clever. It's a certain type of filmmaking that like takes a lot of genres together and succeeds at everything it does. It's a very it's a very Edgar Wright film. I can watch it again and again and often do like whenever it's on, I always will watch it. Um, and I think it's I wish it had been like the hugest hit in the world and informed filmmaking for a decade or two. Like I said earlier, um, you know, it didn't. I, but and I think, again, I, for myself, as someone that's driven crazy by people playing instruments that can't play instruments, uh, you know. Chris, hats off to uh, making that look good, whether it was easy or whether it was difficult, depending on the person it it, it came across. And I thought that was cool. And as for it being a, a success or not, like, I think that it's it's a good example of something that will, you know, it's a great thing that will find its audience and it already kind of has. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it will be talked about a lot more than movies that won Academy Awards that year. It'll kind of live forever more so than any of those movies. It's Edgar yeah. Wright's Navy Blues. And I mean, you know, it got re-released. You know, Text me those. Like, like, you know, Universal felt strongly about it enough to allow it, like, you know, allow the a 10-year re-release. I mean, what movies really get that? You know what I mean? Like, what movies really have a, uh, you know, a run that's so long that, uh, you know, 10 years later, they're still playing in a theater? I don't think you can really name that many. No, just a second. Um, but, uh, but, but Andy, thoughts on, on final thoughts on this? Yeah, no, I, um, uh, it was so fun to watch this again. Uh, I'm so glad I had an excuse to, cause, cause sometimes it's uh, tough for me. I don't have a TV. So, so it's not like I can just turn it on and watch whatever happens to be on TV. Uh, I have to actually like, you know, think Ooh, I don't that. even have a TV. Okay. Sorry. No, 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 no. Yeah. Not like, not <laughs> I like use Conan. other people's criteria on account. Mini Vitrola. <laughs> no, not, not like Conan who has a giant TV. Hey, way to knock me out, dude. <laughs> no, 
if you want to rob it. a house, you can cut that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, Black Friday came early this year, folks. <laughs> Freaking television, Mark. Do you know how many people he trampled on to get to get? <laughs> Snitches get stitches, world. <laughs> nice. see, exactly. but, but you're but you're in Canada. That's not going to be as hot a target as Conan's house. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all the rockers have the cool televisions, and everyone no. else no doesn't. Anyway, but but no, it's it's so, so, like, well. anyway, move on. The point is, is that I don't normally get to you know I don't just you know I have to think about what I want to watch. Um, you know I can't just flip on like oh hey look there's Psycho too let me watch that. Um, you know Has anyone ever said that? Good example. <laughs> Psycho 2 is better than it needs to be. <laughs> sure. I'm not saying it's good. I, it's I went to see it in the theater. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Does Ice T star in it as a kangaroo? Or no? <laughs> no. <laughs> what no. marsupial does he play? <laughs> he plays a wombat. Um, anyway, I always do this. Like Andy has like good final thoughts. And I just I just run like shtick over all of it. Like it's pretty consistent. I have yes. I see I have a series of uh Chris, I have a series of people just vying for permanent co-host status that are just ripping each other apart on this show. It's a <laughs> I've beaten them all though. Anyway. True. Can't we True. all get along? Let him finish. Come on, shut up, Conan. Gideon Neutron over here. <laughs> Um, yeah, where was I? Yeah, no. So, so it was a great excuse to, to revisit this, uh, this movie. Cause it, cause it does hit, um, like, like it really does take me back to, to whenever I was going up to Toronto a couple times a year just to hang out and see some shows. Uh, it, it takes me, uh, so it takes me back to my, 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 my youths. Um, uh, it, it takes me back, you know, it, it's a, it's a comic book film. It, it captures the energy that I love about manga, even though I don't really read manga. Um, but, but like the few that I do, I, I really appreciate that the, the energy that, that the mangaka brings into, uh, the works. Um, and, and so, so like, it's so nice to kind of see that put through a Western lens, the way Johnny Lee, uh, O'Malley does in, in his books and then recaptured in a whole new medium, which, which is, uh, really, really wonderful to, to see. And, um, yeah, I, I kind of. I kind of do. I think, although um, to to Conan, uh, there might be a future generations of people who, now that they've discovered it, will start making movies like how we got um, uh, Repo the Genetic Opera after you know, like thirty years after Rocky Horror, or or uh, Reefer Madness the musical, you know, also thirty years after Rocky Horror, and they're very much in that same type of vein. So maybe in another twenty years, we'll start seeing some uh, Scott Pilgrim esque films uh, finally coming out. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna cut it here. Thank you so much, everyone, for being on here. Thanks for having this, me. This is this is one of my. I mean, this definitely makes it into my top echelon of films. Um, even if I'm not, I don't even think I'm necessarily the audience that it was going for. But I really, I I did appreciate it, and um, it was during a time when Michael Sarah was kind of doing an impressive run of doing you know whatever the fuck he does, and you know, um, you know, just no, it's Sitting like back yeah, there's, a, there's a certain brand of there's a certain brand of comedy that kind of um yeah i know what you're saying in the time period with like michael sarah seth rogan like that that whole you know nice guy i guess branding of, of comedy and i think this this kind of is above it because it's more self-aware i think than a lot of those movies are yeah so i appreciate that about it too anyway i'm gonna leave it here we're gonna be doing uh roadhouse on tuesday excited for that one jake flores is gonna be on which is a big a big 
a big get for us um, in this left movie podcast space. So I'm just going to leave it there and just say it's time for the infinite sadness. Thank you.